Sean Connery is James Bond, Agent 007. Never say never again. Hello and welcome to a special episode of James Bond and Friends where we're going to go off-piste and off-canon. I'm your host James Page from MI6 and MI6 Confidential Magazine. This week, during his annual medical, MI6 doctor Sir James Maloney told James Bond that he has 206 bones in his body. Although that number increases to 207 when he sees the interns. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no. So this week we are watching <laughs> Never Say Never Again. And with our usual crew, Lisa, Ben, Bill, Calvin and David, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh yeah, after that. Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond, and host of License to Critique, a podcast exploring gender in the world of James Bond and beyond. And today I am only drinking a coffee, but I got some delicious uh, peppermint mocha creamer and I'm, I can literally just like lick this cup. It's so yummy. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com uh, and MI6 Confidential Magazine. I'm also the author of The Drinks of James Bond and Friend. I thought it was more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will be drinking a uh, dry martini in honor of the great line later on in this movie. Uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I have no book to plug. <laughs> I'm Calvin Dyson and I have a YouTube channel where I make review videos of all things Bond, books, films, games and like. I'm drinking a Jack Daniels Apple and Diet Coke. Oh, very nice. Yes. Approve, approve of that. It's lovely. It's the so nice. The, the Jack Daniels and honey is pretty good too. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. I'll have to put that as an appendix in the, uh, in the end of my book. So. Yeah, it's the, the, the pre-mix shortcuts. Yeah. <laughs> and... I'm David Lee. I run thejamesbonddossier.com. I'm author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. And if you want to get my monthly Bond newsletter, if you head over to jamesbonddossier.com forward slash friends, you'll be able to sign up there. It's only $9.99 a month, right? $999. So I think our public opinions of nearly all the films are quite well known, but this one is a real mystery bag because... I don't know if anybody knows of everybody's opinions on this one. Um, and I put it out on Twitter that we were watching this one yesterday, and we got the most responses ever. Oh, wow. So um, this is a real curiosity. I'm sure it's going to be fun uh, discovering our opinions on this one. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I've, I've no idea what my opinion is at the moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> and full disclosure, Lisa, up until yesterday, you had never seen this film. I can never say never again to never seeing never say never again. (laughs) But I live tweeted my thoughts and it's a very Mm -hmm. interesting film. I'll leave it like that and and we'll see what my thoughts are as we go along. Right. So even though it's not produced by Eon and it's the rogue film, um, MGM now own this film. They paid $15 million for it back in... uh, 90-something. Yeah, 90-something. Um... So, and as a U.S. district judge ruled this year, um, if you're going to say you do all the James Bond films, you have to also do Never Say Never Again. So we are complying with case law. 
And, <laughs> right, that and, justifies this podcast. It was right. case law. Always been, I was about to say, and also, if you get this film today, you have an Orion logo, which is an MGM brand, but it was originally released by Warner Brothers, which had a didn't did not even have the um, WB Shield logo we're all familiar with. It was That's a stylized right. W. And prior to the uh, the deal, Sony were distributing it. So this Bond film has had the most owners hmm. over the years. One careful owner. Shy of Disney. Mm-hmm. It got everybody uh, involved. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, depending on the version you're going to open, you're going to either end up with an MGM logo, a Starfield Orion logo, or something else, Warner Brothers. I don't know. Um, key thing is uh, it's two hours and 14 minutes, and we're going to start on this countdown and um, anybody want to do the Orion logo? What does that even sound like? <laughs> I have well, no well, idea what it sounds I, like. You know what? I'll do it. But right, it, there's not a real sound <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, I'll do All it. Right. Okay, so everybody ready? Yep. Never yep. say never again. <laughs> In three, two, one, play. Star date 1983. <laughs> 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 oh. They could have done something, you know, gunpowderish. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. Actually, Orion was actually starred by the United Artists executives who fled the company in the 70s, uh-huh. which had. Hmm. FYI. And I guess they couldn't have done anything gun barrel. That's why we have nope. these 007s flying oh towards God. the screen. Yeah, this is yeah. making my head hurt. And generic sevens because you can't have a you can't have that stylized seven that looks like a gun either. That's Mm. beyond property. It's like it's like the the, the Q shield, you know, the barrier as we fly through the star. It's become very Star Trek for some reason. Um, I I do really like this intro. uh, I have to say, Um, I think it's you know a great way to kind of start the whole film off. Uh, throwing, you know, kind of almost like in Midias Res, you know, you're, you're, you're right into the action, so to speak. Uh, even as we find out, spoiler alert, that it is just a training exercise, much like uh, The Living Daylights uh, is later on. But um, I think it's I think it's a great way to kind of kick things off. Well, and my understanding is this opening was the idea of uh, Dick Clement and Ian LaFrentis, who did a massive but uncredited rewrite because the original screenwriter, Lorenzo Semple Jr., had Bond at some kind of medieval place where That's he's right. like dressed up as a knight and you don't mm-hmm. see his face for, for quite a while, which is like, okay, the whole attraction of this film is having the original Bond back and like, so you're going to like hide him under a helmet for five minutes or whatever. I uh, wish the music was making me feel that this was a sort of a you know a good action reintroduction to Connery as Bond, but this music with uh-huh. ju- just the juxtaposition of Bond <laughs> killing all these people uh, with this never never say never again—it's <laughs> just oh, well, I hate this song. Well, was amazing. We're going to get copyright striked now because that was, this, like, was indistinguishable. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this is my stock line about this film: is like a lot of people. Connery's back. He's like pretty good. He's certainly very fit. He's more fit here than he was in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. But but he was also essentially the de facto producer. I mean, during production, he said, yeah, me and the assistant director, we really produced this. But he, you know, um, one of the choices was he recruited Michelle Legrand. Now, Legrand was a great composer, but like clearly Bond is not in his wheelhouse. No. And this and this title song reflects that. And and some of the 
dramatic score is kind of weird as well and different can places. i just give a shout out to the blow dart it's much underused I should also just point out, and I'm sure everyone knows that, because um, I've, I've mentioned it on a previous podcast, uh, that um, Wendy Leach is the uh, the girl that Stan yeah. Bond here, who um, has, married Vic Armstrong. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, and daughter of um, uh, the George Leach. George Leach. Sorry, I'm slowing down a little bit in my, in my old age. <laughs> Um, but yeah, technically the only person next to uh, Valenka to have killed Bond, kind of uh, uh, on screen. Begs the question: Why he has to rescue her if she's going to stab him? But you know, yeah, hmm. maybe maybe he wasn't who she was expecting. Did they ever explain that though? Yeah, he forgot to bring turned. the chocolates. She's been turned. That, that <laughs> you know, you have to. God, I can't believe I can remember this, but he says that um, I haven't seen this in 30 years, but I remember I saw it last night. I have no idea. <laughs> M, M says <laughs> something when we get to his that, office. Um, you should have you should have accepted uh, uh, accepted the possibility that she might have been, you know, brainwashed or turned. So oh balls. <laughs> <laughs> And how do they have this footage? <laughs> it's a hidden camera. It's a training exercise. Oh, this is not a mission? No. No, no oh, this is a training well, exercise. That explains everything. Let me tell you, I've only seen it once. So like, I just have not like even caught on to full characters' names and like plot lines and dialogue. There's well, a lot to take in. in. Of this when well, I the, guy, the guy in the center is called James Bond. <laughs> when we started this off and i said uh even though it's a reveal that it's a training exercise <laughs> um, edward fox edward fox who plays m here seven years younger than connery well but, but, well yeah but the thing is though he is a different m because there's this line about it's no secret i hold your talents in less regard than my illustrious predecessor whatever mm. essentially he is like a male version of the Judy Dench M we would get in 1995. Mm, yeah. The more technocratic M, mm. not as, not, you know, doesn't trust, you know, the, the old ways, et cetera, et cetera. Any thoughts on the tanning in this film? Because Sean Connery <laughs> looks very, his, like, it's a very obvious tan. It's almost like an orangey tan. And I think Kim, Kim Basinger's character also has a really, uh, sort of like a similar tan, and I don't know if it's designed to show that he's it's, had more leisure time yeah. or that it's, um, Marilago yeah. orange. <laughs> well, well, also, when you get to work in uh, uh, the Bahamas and uh, the south of France, it kind of <laughs> that lends itself to a good tan. And yeah, with Connery is producing it, Street. <laughs> <laughs> and with Connery producing it as well, I'm guessing that there was scheduled time for sunbathing and nice leisure. long breaks. But I do like the idea that you, it's something that we haven't really seen in the official series, like a younger M kind of mm -hmm. coming into an older Bond and like what that would be. I mean, they don't explore that dynamic really much all here. But, um, but yeah, they oh. kind of played with it a little bit with C Inspector, didn't they? With the yeah. younger. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the thing that always gets me about this movie is Connery's eye makeup. Yeah. yeah. His mm -hmm. eyeliner. It's like, oof. Mm. And here nice, we actually nice use of the Bentley. I was yeah. about to say, here we actually get to see Connery drive the Bentley, because you see a Bentley in From Russia with Love, but it's you know parked, and you know it's like 
he actually drives the thing. Does he actually the... drive it? Because all we see is him getting um, out of it. I think he does because on uh, in the U.S. on the Today Show they showed some behind the scenes. Yeah, I think he did drive it. Well, not not necessarily in the shot we saw, but I think at, you know right before it pulled up, I think he did at least for some shots. So he had a stunt driver for that pull up shot because that is a tricky mm-hmm. tricky bit of driving. Yeah, but if you get a stunt driver to drive the Bentley in the pull, but you could still play an extra couple of holes. That's true. <laughs> again, I, I I think he may have, but again, you know, it's like I don't have that video from the Today Show right in front of me. So he's not. He's you know he's not in bad shape for a guy in his his fifties, is he? Really, I think no. he looks really good in this film. I, I think he took his training a lot more seriously mm-hmm. here than he did for Diamonds. Uh, now we have. Yeah, he, I, mean, I think to your point. Um, sorry about that. I think to your point earlier, Bill, that um, you know he uh, he he does he does look like he's actually kind of like in better shape than he was, you know, in in um, in diamonds. I, I like uh, this, I, I like this uh, this 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 scene. You know, I like the way that the the. Um, you know, it's obviously it's the it, it's the the same thing. It's done in Thunderball, but uh, I think it's just I, I like the gadgets more in it. I like mm-hmm. the I like the way it's kind of it, you just sort of maybe the, maybe the the ultimately the room itself, the ballroom itself, isn't as, as sexy. But this this bit where she comes through the scanner and the the thing opens up, it looks really. I think it looks great. Production design, production design was two flashlights. <laughs> The, the way that those uh, the, those bars open up, I thought looked always thought looked really cool. Mm, yeah, and uh, Barbara Carrera were being introduced to now Fatima Blush. I I don't think she's a terribly good actress, but I think she's a very brave performer and probably the best thing about this film. Like she, her character every time she's in a scene, it it becomes electric. I think her presence is really necessary to the to this film uh, for yeah. my enjoyment anyway. And she was approached about Octopussy, but told them, no, I'm going to work with the real James Bond. Yep. But I will say, okay, when I, I've asked this question aloud on Twitter, like when I was reading it, I was asking like, is this supposed to be parody or am I supposed to be reading this in a serious way? Because when I, when it comes to Fatima Blush, I can't read her character a hundred percent seriously. I think that she's just really over the top and I kind of like it. Like, I, I like the fact that I get to watch this in 2020 and this is new to me. And I guess, you know, I've already seen Austin Powers and I've seen all the other Bond films. And so I, I'm watching this through a very different lens and I kind of like the absurdity, but some of her dialogue, nobody talks like that uh, or enunciates <laughs> their words in that way or wears the types of costumes that she wears. Like she, she's extra. Um, and I, I kind of like that about her, but... I don't know how it would have been perceived, say, in 1983 when the film came out. If it was, right, if it, right. how people would take it then. I, I'm reading it through a very different lens yeah, now. One of the mo- one of the most interesting responses I saw on Twitter to the uh, we were going to watch this tomorrow was, "Do you think the official series was influenced by this movie in the creation of Mayday, mm. the following film?" Do you know? Wait, did, uh, did they I, look I, at Fatima Blush and goes, "We need a character like that. We're going to." I hadn't seen that on Twitter, but uh, I actually had this, a similar thought earlier today because uh, just looking at some photos of her, and uh, I, I, I just thought that's Mayday. Yeah, hmm. well, I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you how I perceived it in 1983. It's like 
kind of mixed. And I think just before her demise, I think she's particularly ridiculous, but we'll, I'll wait till we get to that scene. But uh. <laughs> I, I think, um, I think she, she's one of the standouts, uh, for the film for me. Um, I can't get over how much, um, this actress reminds me of, uh, Tim Curry though. Oh, no. oh you didn't know it it, it is Tim Curry. It. It's there it is. Oh, that's all I'm seeing. Right. <laughs> uh. And that's why you're listening to this podcast, people. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this is this is basically this the whole film is basically Sean Connery and Friends. Because yeah. he cast he he personally cast pretty much everybody in this film. Wow. He approached them individually and got them on board. So mm. I don't know who I don't know what the casting director in this movie did other than <laughs> do the do the paperwork. He said yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, all these roles were handpicked by Connery that we're seeing. Um, well, real quick, this is Jack Patachi, Domino's uh, brother, and uh, he's played by Gavin O'Hirlihy, and his father was the great character actor Dan O'Hirlihy, and his uh-huh. his uh, un- his uncle was a renowned TV director in the states named Michael O'Hirlihy. He was renowned because no matter how complicated the shoot, the shoot, he was always done by five o'clock because it was time for his evening cocktail. <laughs> and he was, in other words, he's part of a show business family. I'm F-Y-I. sorry. <laughs> just <laughs> um, just a, a very kind of Tim Curry moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, well, maybe Charles Gray should pop up. That would be great. <laughs> this is uh, probably one of my favorite things to see you know bond being bond and being like no i brought my own food and it's yeah, like right. all of his fancy stuff like i thought that was so cool i was like yeah if i go away <laughs> to a wellness retreat i'd like to have my favorite stash with me i, yes, I should make, I should make some up. notes I've, no, I've never done the, the the drinks of this film i, I should make some notes mm. so, i was about to say though <laughs> i was about to say though the roger moore bond would never bring Fargo. No, no exactly because he was a big activist against it. No, I was yeah. rewatching this part before we recorded. I was like, ooh. Yeah. So something that's always struck me odd with this film is because when Connery was interviewed, on the, fair, on the few occasions Connery was interviewed and asked about Bond when Roger was doing it, mm-hmm. he always said, well, Roger's coming in with the comedic angle, and I never did that. We did them seriously and everything. Well, here's mm-hmm. Connery doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. As Roger, that he criticized. Well, you know, it wasn't a criticism of Roger; it was more of an observation. Um, and here he is doing Roger's stick, mm. you know, and being involved in the writing of it. Right, because he was the guy. Connery was the one who brought in uh, Clement and Lafrenis in to rewrite the script. Because here, here's the thing. Like I remember when this movie came out, and people would say, "Oh, Connery's great. It's just too bad the script sucked and the music sucked." Yeah, but he had a. But Connery was responsible in a way, at least indirectly, for both. But like, you know, those fans don't want to hear those details. Mm. He's like, "How do I get that room service?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's very it's very different from. What we what we see in uh, with Lippy in in Thunderball, isn't it really? Um, I know Barbara it, Carrera in a nurse's uniform beating the shit out of somebody. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Better one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh man. <laughs> we run out of things to say. I haven't seen this in. in- like thirty years, so I'm like, I'm 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 so rusty on on. Yeah, on... I know. I, I I'm just trying to work out what's going on well, with, with all well, the other he's... Bond films. I, I pretty much know, but uh... I'm genuinely he... watching this. <laughs> he, he has he has one eye that's a exact duplicate of the president of the United States. How did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. It's great hearing you describe the plot. Like he has a yeah. copy of the eye of the president of the United States. <laughs> Fantastic, in a the way. of the United States at, uh, at this time had enormous blue, weird alien eyes. Just, <laughs> just like super odd looking eyes. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's a nice little conceit, isn't it? And um, I think kind of a modern, like a nice way to kind of modernize, um, you know, just the kind of the duplication of. Uh, um, Duval in from Thunderball. You know. Actually, you know what? Okay, Lorenzo Semple Jr. was the original screenwriter. He was the guy who developed Batman for the Adam West TV show. He also wrote the 1966 feature film. And at one point in in that feature film, there's a ref- reference to Batman supposedly had retinal eye identification. I'm wondering if Semple uh. like. Drew on his Batman experience. Yeah, I'll work that into this film. Hmm. Bat Bond. So um, I have a question regarding kind of like continuity, and I know that's a ridiculous thing to bring up in in respect to the Bond series, but just, uh, I mean, was this kind of marketed at the time as like a remake of Thunderball, or was this kind of supposed to be like, yeah, Connery's Bond finished, Diamonds Are Forever, and then this is us picking up with him a few years down the line? uh, If it was marketed at all, it was as a... um, a remake of Thunder, Thunderball, and yeah. uh, but I have here my press kit from this film, and this is from uh, the biography of Irvin Kirshner, the director. Mm. This is the quote from the uh, press release. I looked at some of the old films and realized which ones I liked <laughs> and which ones were not up to par. I decided to forget that I had seen any of them. As far as I'm concerned, there never was a Bond picture before, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Huh, interesting. I like the merch that the villains have all have logos on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where's our James Bond and friends matches? Right? And, 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 and gym bag. Yeah. And shoes. Oh, so this thug, by the way, is named Lippy. He's not a count, but he's, hmm. uh, this is, he is officially Lippy in this film. <laughs> uh, people obviously will know that this is Pat Roach. Um, mm. The uh, famously the guy that got sliced up um, in Raiders of the Lost Ark by the, the propeller, also the giant Sherpa in that movie, um, and has the dubious honor of being killed by Indiana Jones in three Indiana Jones movies, although one of them was cut. Um, so considering that uh, Connery is playing uh, Indy's dad in in one of those movies, right. hmm. sort of a strange kind of. Uh, um so yeah. Oh. He's a very imposing guy. Was a very imposing guy. Um and So uh, Fat Fatima's identified Bond as snooping on them, but he's she sends this guy after him rather than doing it herself. I mean he's a big dude, isn't he? You know? Like 
you know. But she, she has no qualms about killing people. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think it's more that you know maybe her maybe her role in the in the plot is you know before before the the, the warheads have been stolen, maybe she doesn't want to risk herself. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah. Watch out for those those uh, propellers. One thing that I liked is he has this. Uh, is this the guy who has the 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 whip that breaks everything? Is this the guy that has the whip that breaks oh, yes. everything? Doesn't he break a knife? Yeah, and he breaks yeah. like a suitcase or something. Is it this dude that's got that that? I, I think so. I don't remember at all. Yeah, but like you know, to, again, Connor using furniture in a, in a in a fight. You know, like if it's not a sofa, he's going to pick up a bench. Grandfather clock. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. It's so interesting. It's just like, it, I, I do find this film quite fascinating from the, the perspective of like, it is like an alternate dimension Bond film, like taking out all of the Eon kind of tropes and expectations and trademarks and all that kind of stuff and just doing a James Bond story and and a James Bond story that we'd already experienced previously with Thunderball. Um, yeah, and and yet crazy. it does just feel like its own individual thing completely. It's I find it kind of fascinating. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a Bond film at all at the moment. Yeah, right? It, it, it's yeah. an um, I, I don't know because it's and that's why I find it fascinating because it's the same as it's the same story as Thunderball. How could it not feel the same? Like what is it about that Eon? Is it just so many you know, unquantifiable, you know, uh, small things that you just take for granted when you're watching it. But then when you see something redone like this, it all becomes apparent. I, I don't know. Uh, it's a preview of 2034. Down to yeah. yeah. But I, I also th- feel like this is a film that pulls in a lot of ways from uh, For Your Eyes Only. When I watch this, I, I can sense and I get like, Kim Basinger's hair is like Countess. There's the thing. That's what I was talking about. The uh, movie thing. Yes. Um, but I can, I can feel some of the influences just in terms of like the way that it's shot from the film before. And I feel as though this is a film that taps into a lot of other, other elements. Like there was the shot um, through whatever device, the, the look in the dark device where um, you had like the red <laughs> graphics on the outside and then bond showed up in green. And I love the, the graphics of this because it reminds me of star Wars um, and, and some of the, the imagery that's in there. And so this is a film, I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed it is because it has like this early eighties, film aesthetic that's i I feel like it's just pulling from so many different um uh, films that i enjoy and so it's kind of combining them together to make something that's distinctively different from a typical and traditional bond film and i think that's why i find it really fascinating although i would say that at the very beginning of this fight back in the gym when bond's like throwing weights at lippy and they're bouncing off his chest that kind of reeks of goldfinger and fort knox Mm. Any any Star Wars influence may not be entirely uh, right. Um, uh, coincidental because mm. uh, director, mm. yeah, yeah. Evan Kershner, of course, did uh, Empire Strikes Back. Piss off! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was waiting for that. See, hey. I remember sitting in the theater when it's revealed it was his own urine sample. Right. Like, okay, this is a Lorenzo Semple Junior gag. <laughs> I could just tell. I mean, Lorenzo Semple Jr., he could do comedy, he could do serious drama, because, like I said, he did Batman, but he also did Three Days of the Condor. Um, he also did a previous spy thing, Fathom, with Raquel Welch, that also had a Maurice Binder right. 
title sequence. Of course, it was a lot simpler title sequence compared to what Bender did for the Bond films. That was just Raquel Welch packing her <laughs> parachute. This whole, this whole scene just reeks of English ITV drama of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I find really interesting about the premise of this film is it's questioning the the need and the viability of the double O section. And Bond is basically, I don't like the phrase, like, you know, those who can't do, t- can't do teach. Cause I'm a professor and I'm like, eh, no, <laughs> I don't subscribe to that logic. Um, but I think it's just, it's a really interesting concept because I think in the world of Bond, until we get to the most recent film Spectre, it is a constant, right? We just think that it's a staple of MI6 that you will have double right. agents who can do this. And I think that's the concept that we were talking about when we did our Spectre watch along that we really tapped into. We're like, there's a lot of potential here. Do we need human beings and double O agents making those decisions or should technology step in? And I like the fact that it's, that this film is really questioning and addressing the viability of the program in the eighties. So I I like that component. And again, this is from the, the press kit um, production information in a world dominated by computers and bureaucracy. He is a man, meaning bond. He is a man whose greatest strength lies in his own intuitions a man who allows his hunches to take him straight to the heart of the danger and who has the courage and the skill to face the gravest perils and survive. That's uh, so that was a, presumably or, that was a theme or, they were trying to promote. Or stumble in without a plan and make it up. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I'll, I'll bring my gun and, you know, see what happens. happens. See what happens. <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I don't hate the production design on this, this movie, but you know, you, when you're remaking Thunderball and you pay Ken Adam to kind of as mm-hmm. your touchstone, it's it's interesting that you know here here we are decades later and his production design looks more futuristic. Yeah, he's, you know, you bypass an encryption system by a jump lead. <laughs> but this is absolutely like gross, and this reminds me of like a Clockwork Orange. You know, utilizing yeah. your eye. And, and and I think it's a, I, I wonder like if they're really trying to go for the gross factor and like the amount of sacrifice that it probably takes for this particular person um, to to do this role and to I don't know maybe permanently like can this be reversed I know that they don't plan on reversing it um, but going into it and knowing and believing in this plan enough to 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 alter your eye he's a heroin addict isn't he so I suppose he's just you, you they know. got him hooked yeah. yeah. <sighs> So that that's kind of like the implication is that you know they've they got him hooked on heroin and then he's he's basically their their man now. <sighs> I guess these um, these were fairly uh, new things. These cruise yeah, missiles. Yeah, they, they they were very new at uh, the time. I'm I'm not even sure that they uh, probably they'd been deployed in the UK, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it was early days. Oh. Yeah. As I remember hearing about crude cruise missiles, I said crude cruise missiles in the early eighties. Um, I guess it was like intended as kind of updating Thunderball. Yeah, yeah. How um, tight was the uh, like? How many lawyers did they need to permanently have on set to make sure that they could and couldn't do things? Well, uh, so funny you should say that because um, there was an ongoing legal dispute prior to filming. Mm. When Eon was trying to get a uh, cease and desist, I think trying to on on the production well, company, but 
Eon were very well informed of everything that was happening on this film. Hmm. Well, and, um, and also Vulcan that it's launching from. And also, Eon got uh, it was then called Glidrose, now Ian Fleming Publications. They got them into the act. Yeah, they were filing lawsuits related to this film. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what plane that was, Benny. I didn't look like a Vulcan to me. Uh, no, sorry, I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was an actual real model or, or something that yeah. was. I did like. I did. This is very video, eighties video gamey. This whole sequence of them following the missile like that. Um, I don't know. I I think it's um, bravo. Um, yeah. I, I, I this this whole sequence is kind of. I, I quite. It's more entertaining than just watching the the Vulcan crash into the water. Um, although we don't have. I mean, look at that snake in the. <laughs> Imagine the, like the, to to line yourself up and then throw your pet snake. And I mean, she shows a lot of love towards the snake after, like, oh my baby, I'm not gonna sit there and drive beside somebody I want to kill and throw my dog out the window <laughs> into their lap and hope that my dog doesn't get crushed in the process. Like and it's then, it's absurd. And then- and then unnecessarily explode the car. Well, when she, could have, she could have left that. She could have planted that bomb in the in the car yeah. at any point. Yeah. Detonated it at any point without having any close contact to this thing at all. So it seems a bit pointless. Mm. I guess I think I just get the sense that they do, they wanted to have a, a shot of her holding a snake. Right. Yeah, yeah, going back to the production design, this is clearly like some old industrial estate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> about 15 feet that and, and also, she has a belt and suspenders mentality. It's like, well, the, same, the snake oh, probably finished him off, there. but I'll make sure by exploding him. <laughs> Stay on target. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I just keep seeing like Star Wars. Mm. Oh, we should talk about this because. It, Richard Donner was originally supposed to direct this. Huh. And he turned it down in the end. Hmm. That was the, that was the MI6 Scotland building. No. See? All the merch. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, Oliver Brown could really benefit from tying in with this movie as well. Hmm. Uh, I want my Discover Land... Oh, sorry. Flying Saucer... Um, <laughs> <laughs> crossover backpack and matches. Yeah, it's it's like Star Wars, but with much crapper uh, special effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, apparently, Industrial Light and Magic was in discussions to do it, but and and uh, somebody else ended up doing the special effects. Can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though this film had a higher budget than Octopussy. Yeah. Do you know but, how they much? Must have put it all on the brown paint in that previous scene. I, I think <laughs> the budget for this was $34 million. Is that right, James? I had 36 down, so 36, there, okay. thereabouts. Yeah. I mean, split, split the difference. It's still a lot of money for yeah. 83. Yeah, and how much was Octopussy? That's, that's, that's Star Wars, isn't it? All that kind of uh, green. Octopussy was like 27 ish, 27 wow. and a half. Well, oh, that's a big leap then, huh? Yeah. Whereas how much of that was Cottery's salary? Hmm. <laughs> And I know, of course, that um, Octopussy made more money in the long run, but I believe that Never Say Never Again had a better like opening weekend or opening couple of weeks or something like that, uh, even if though it didn't sort of uh, play for as long. 
in the states. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, of course, this didn't uh, in the states didn't come out till October. So, mm. whereupon Octopussy came out in June, which is like the prime summer um, movie season. Mm. So well, here we have oh, just missing the tent pegs and the netting, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for and ten minutes, for twelve uh, minutes. Orange, <laughs> orange and yellow underwater vehicles are sorely missing. Um, there are some yellow there's some yellow under like the actual big vehicle is is silver but like the little handheld pod things are yellow i was i was looking for that when we were there's a lot of of largo on video screens isn't there (laughs) so is the is the skull supposed to be a substitute for the octopus i think so yeah i I think so you know what we should release them as zoom webcams yeah. Mm. I think it's. I love. I love pirate gear. So, like, you know, I think it's absolutely gorgeous. So when, when when your Zoom call starts, the head flips back. Oh my gosh! I love that. And, I would and of buy course, that. and of course, the way Blofeld has positioned himself relative to the camera, it's like, uh, well, it evokes the early James Bond films where you couldn't see his face. And here's that. Oh, one of the officers is that guy who played the oil man in A View to a Kill. Sorry, I don't remember his yeah. name. Yeah. So. What was the legality of the cat? Because the cat isn't in Fleming. Like the cat's an eon invention. You know what? I, I I think that's Kevin McClory just kind of sticking his middle finger out. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, you know, he, I mean, he essentially claimed ownership of everything to do with Blofeld. So I'm guessing he just, you know, it's like as far as I'm concerned, I own the cat too. Okay. But that's mm. speculation on my part. Just want to be clear. It would be better if it was a dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and here's something, you know, as I was watching this last night, I was thinking about the set design that I've seen in so many other previous Bond films where even when it's at a briefing, right, it's a little like there's space, there's room. Um, it showcases, you know, the money that is involved, you know, that we have um, these intelligence divisions and these military complexes and they have these big briefing rooms and we're like, okay, then they are a power to uh, be reckoned with. And I saw this and I'm like, oh, it looks like a university classroom and they literally just yeah. have microphones on it just the way it it's shaped and I, I, yeah I'm, I'm assuming that it is and I just it's it's one of those things where it, it, it does seem scaled down and scaled back in a way that I I like the upscale components of the Bond films right now that I've seen yeah. so many Bond films this just seems like but how are they going to do anything if they're you know sitting at desks at a university yeah, versus this, this, this is what kind of like a, a, t- a TV a TV production of Bond would look like yeah, mm. yeah. and and Lisa coming to your point you know like we've had we've had the the, th- the Thunderball um, kind of conference room mm-hmm. and you only, only live twice you had that kind of like domed uh, honeycombed like set um yeah. the again that set probably didn't cost very much to do uh but was in was very impressive mm-hmm. right you, you know so you it was partly the fact that ken adam could really do a lot with very little um whereas this feels like very little is done with very little your your um both of your comments just brought an image to my head of like Ken Adam going to see this film in the theater in 83 and just kind of, you know, shaking his well, head. I, and, yeah, I mentioned this on another, I think I mentioned this on the Octopussy podcast. I imagine like, because this film came out afterwards, the cast and crew of this movie went to see Octopussy. Mm. And I was been like, oh, right. Oh, uh, crap. Even Octopussy, 
policy has a much better, when we think about the dialogue that was taking place in USSR, I mean, even they had like, they were in a U shape and they rotated and there there were, there were these right. big maps and there was scale I mean. and size. Yeah. That's what I mean. They must've been looking at that and they're like, how, they had a lower budget than us. How did they do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't have Connery. <laughs> yeah. Even though we're in Loughborough University or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and there's that logo on top of the flying saucer. Yeah, real subtle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't, can't be picked up by spy satellites or anything. That right, way. no, not, not, nothing like that. <laughs> oh, Bond's doing detective work. He, like, found the most obvious clue. That's a long shot, though. It is a long yeah. shot. That's why Maybe. this movie is two hours and 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's shots like this. Wow. Yeah, Lago's very hands-on in this movie, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he, was in, he was in Thunderball as well. I mean, he went and like he went with his men to get the, the bombs, and, and Largo killed uh, the one guy himself in Thunderball. Yeah, I like, I like Largo being hands-on. Uh, I mean, I, I think this performance is, is, is interesting in the sense that, you, you know, you, you've got quite a, a memorable character. Um, to to kind of like copy in a sense, or or at least do your own interpretation of, and it's interesting that he kind of went away from the switch on the underwater landing lights to kind of just <laughs> this very kind of pleasant. I think he's you know he's, he's, he seems charming and affable in this rather than kind of menacing and frightening. Well, un- until he loses his cool, like he does with Domino later. Yeah. Um, you know, we we see little hints that he's not the most mentally stable guy. But but yeah. most of the time he is, as you say, affable, charming. Um, but I, I I sort of read that through a lens of an abusive partner, right? That someone who right. can be quite charismatic and charming and very loving and gushing in some respects, and then you know you flip the switch and you sort of see her reaction to him. And that's something that we really don't see too much in in the original Thunderball, right? Like we're not really sure what the relationship really is between Domino and Largo. We don't really sense that she's attracted to him. You know, there really isn't that connection. It always felt a little bit, bit off. Here you definitely see... Um, you know, Domino really having these feelings for him, but also in some ways being being stuck in this relationship. And I think that's a dynamic that was added to this film. And and I find it it's an interesting dynamic, but I think we also have to understand that it's also it's it's not just him being, say, mentally unstable, but he's also abusive, utilizing right. yeah. yeah, this component. Yeah, there's um, definitely that uh, that uncomfortable sense of power that he has. Mm-hmm. Over her, that he wields over her. He's watching um, her, right? He's got, yeah. He's right. a peeping tom on top of everything else. Yeah, just to make sure that you know his dance instructor isn't taking any liberties. I just want to shout out, David. You'll appreciate this: the wall-mounted keyboards, because you know there's a production designer that's never used a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm thinking about that clank clank clank. Yeah, very handy <laughs> to use like that. Yeah. Um. Nobody else has brought this up, so I'll just say it now. I do think this is uh, Connery's worst hairpiece in a Bond film. <laughs> um, You're the expert. It, it's well, I guess so. Um, it's not his worst toupee ever. I think Wrong Is Right is uh, worse, but it's supposed to be because it's it's this darkly satirical film. And of course, he and in that film, he actually throws the toupee away, takes it off his own head, and tosses it aside. But here we're supposed to take it seriously. It's like, no, 
What do you think the dance instructor does for the other 23 and a half hours a day that he's on the cruise ship? <laughs> uh, gets on a tanning bed. Um, <laughs> I, I, can, I can fairly confidently say that uh, Largo uh, doesn't have anything to worry about. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> Was it the jazz oh. hands or the clicky fingers that go? Yeah, that little, that little move that he does when he goes backwards and shakes his tush. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, he, uh, he is like more nimble than she is. And uh, when they were like doing their dance steps together. So it's going to just nipples. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they're out there. They're little. So Kim, right. Basinger, Kim Basinger turned down, well, she was approached or turned down or didn't get cast or whatever for two Bond movies prior to this. Oh. One of which was Moonraker. Huh. As, as Holy Goodhead? No, as um, the character that became... Um, oh, Green, hel- when she was Trudy something in American. Yes. Um, okay. Right before it became a uh, French co-production, you had to cast a French actress. Mm. So apparently she, the only reason she agreed to do this was one, Connery, two, worldwide exposure. Mm. Because <laughs> her career wasn't quite going the way she wanted to at this point, apparently. Mm. It's, um, it's, I think this is a nice little, I know that, as we just said, that he is very controlling, he's watching her, but this does expand upon their relationship. And mm-hmm. you, do, you, you get the sense that even though that he is an abuser, there is a genuine relationship mm-hmm. between them. And I think this is one of the, the things that you rarely see in, in any uh, Bond movie is, is an, a kind of an expansion of this kind of relationship. Uh, but between, right. so this okay. is actually a nice scene, I think, to in, to include. Um, I was reading one of the uh, on that point, Ben. I was reading one of the comments from Kim Basinger, and she said she we actually shot two and a half more films <laughs> than what you got. I here. believe it. Jesus. So real, real there's quick. a lot of stuff taken out. So it's like, it, considering the other stuff they took out, it's good that they included some of this character work. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. real quick at the just before they ended that scene, he said, "I cut your throat." Like that was your little him dropping the mask yeah, for a I second. Mean, yeah, it, he that that's what kind of really does give you some some genuine menace from that character, and I think it's um I think it's not it, it's it, in a sense it's better to to do that than to um I love the way he just looks at his gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I love the way nice. he fucks with him here, and it's great. So so uh, her appearing in this film, do you think it paid off for her? Because the, the only film that I can remember her being in, apart from this, is Nine and a Half Weeks, which came a few years afterwards. Well, she won well, an Oscar was... a few years later, um, LA Confidential. So oh. If it led to that role, if it led to that role, then yes. And she Wasn't was in, she in Batman, Batman in yeah. 1989. Is it cold down there? Why is he wearing a scarf? It is because he's, he, he's, he's got the flu. He yeah. has this comment about he complains how cold it is. Oh, okay. It's been a while. <laughs> it's, it's it's like yeah, he's, he's, again, compl- we're, he's we're back we're back at the University of Loughborough's metalwork department. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uninspiring in terms of like just put mm-hmm. a few angles in there, you know, like just do a cantilever, just do a. It doesn't doesn't take a, a lot to. That's a nice engine block. Doesn't take a lot to. Uh... <laughs> that's right. May not have great acting, but it's got a great engine block. It does. Sorry, that's block. a joke. Yeah. But it also, I think, shows what Desmond Llewellyn really brought, I think, to the role of Q and how memorable he is and how he carved and developed that role for himself. Whereas I watch this, I, I, I feel nothing, just like I felt nothing with the Money Penny 
that we saw. I mean, she was there for five seconds and gone. Um, but I really, I'm, I don't feel anything from him. I feel as though he's sort of like a fanboy of Bond, um, mm. more so than being sort of like that grandfatherly or fatherly role. I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just don't feel it. And I, this also he, watching this helps me understand why they decided to cast Ben Wishaw in the, in the Craig era and like completely go in a different direction. Cause I don't know if you can replicate what, Desmond Llewellyn really brought no, to the absolutely, role. absolutely. They it would have been it would have been stupid to try and in fact they, they did try and do it yeah, kind of nice. with with John Cleese I think yeah. and it just didn't pay off. So yeah, a cast, casting Ben Wishaw was the best thing they could have done. Completely mm-hmm. different, yeah. So they just they, did the "Don't touch that." That's my lunch gag, basically. Hmm. I was going to uh, say if only if only Desmond Llewellyn had as good as lines as Q does in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't um, sex and violence. <laughs> I don't begrudge them the uh, the intention. Like, good for them for trying to do something different. I guess it's like he's he's a much more of a kooky boffin kind of character than the Q yeah. in the official series. But I, I agree that it just it just doesn't work. Similar with Money Penny, they try something very different with the character, but it just doesn't work. And here's Valerie Leon from the Spy yeah. Who Loved Me. Hey, hmm. um, just uh, Connery's touching her around. I was just yeah. <laughs> Just going to that, that line that I hope we get some gratuitous sex and violence kind of was was a play, I suppose, on the idea that maybe Bond had stepped away from mm-hmm. the, the the Connery kind of Bond, and this was a way to kind of wink to the audience to say this is what we're this is what we're actually in for here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this so is Atkinson before he was internationally famous. Yes. Yeah, Mr. So Bean. It, well, mm-hmm. and I was going to say, it's like sitting in 1983 in a the theater, it's like, okay, something's gone wrong here. Something's gone seriously <laughs> wrong. Because again, <laughs> all, you know, the American Bond fans, oh yeah, Connery's coming back. It's going to be serious. It's not going to be like those goofy Roger Moore films. Like, what? Nigel we have Small Fawcett? The James Bond, Johnny English, Doubleheader. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rowan's been a, uh, a Bond fan for a very long time, even, I guess, you know, prior to this this film and you know owned a series of astons and obviously his john english character and um you know the the adverts he did for um i think was it Barclay Barclay Card. yeah um <laughs> tie into that um and um you know with, with certainly within the british audiences would, would have been more familiar with him from uh, not the nine o'clock news and, and blackadder as well and blackadder yeah. and, you know he is um you know, I think it's not about a, a lot of people kind of don't like this character, and I actually don't hate it. I think it's nice to have a little bit of kind of comic relief in there. And uh, <clears throat> it is the kind of typical Etonian working at the consulate somewhere yeah. overseas, uh, empire, oh, fall of the empire stuff, isn't it? I love this little thing that he does, this kind of like, you know, sneaking away. Kind of, it's like Bond just fucking with him, right? <laughs> <laughs> for, me, for me, I think his character's just a bit too silly, and uh, I, I don't, I don't want that level of stupidity in a Bond film. But right, and and that's what I was trying to get at because, again, been hearing all this stuff, you know, the original Bond, serious Bond, and it's like, what's this? And it's like, and and you know, the actor does. He does what he's supposed to do, and he brings his natural comedic talent. So I'm not criticizing him for that. He's, you know, he's got a job, and he's doing the job he was given. The question is, should this character be in this film? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how much of her own water skiing stunts do you think she did? I mean, like, 
You know, is she doing this? I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Right there. Like yeah. yeah, Jesus. That's she's she's that's impressive. She's mm. pretty accomplished. Now she might have done that, but you know, but she does enough to carry out, you know, to make the uh, make it work. Well, she and she does it with an off-the-shoulder thong bathing suit. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? well, well, that's just a, that's a preview of the more uh, uh, energetic sexual scenes that are coming yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's a guy in the background that just fell off his yeah, board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Like now he's getting back on. Uh, really. Yeah. I got my moment. I got, oh, no, when the camera moves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't show the kids now. It's too embarrassing. And this is one of the best lines in the film. It says, oh, I got you all wet. Yes, but my martini is still dry. It is, I think. Um, yeah. What, not not a month goes by where I don't try and wedge that line in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is easy to do in the Pacific Northwest because it rains a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I really... I I I think she is a little over the top as a as a character, but I I think she just genuinely adds something, like gives this this a bit more dimension um, mm. by being so. Uh, you know, like Zenyonatop is very kind of like has the DNA from Fatima Blush, I would say, and yeah, I think so too. Well, mm. yeah, because Fatima was a. Uh shows up in, in in the Thunderball drafts back during the McClory part of it. Like, you know, she shows up in the middle of that. And so Fiona was definitely based on Fatima Blush. Suck mm. it in. Suck it in. <laughs> I think he lost a little weight uh, prior to this film, but maybe he still had to suck it in. I don't know. Oh, he, he still is. is. Yeah, but he's in shape that he wasn't dying. That uh, everybody in their um, 40s and 50s do. Uh, I, I'm... <laughs> you know, as you as you walk past the mirror, you kind of go, "Oh, there it is, sucking it." Oh, um, oh, I just heard a bit of the saxophone. Yes. The volume <laughs> I love the saxophone. It's, it's, well, I, it's, it, it, but it's like the score for a cheap porno film. I think um, that's all, I think it's great. Uh, <laughs> this sequence is bizarre. Barbara Carrera, in interviews, boasted that she refused a sex double for this scene. She wanted to do it all herself. Well, that's right. Yeah, but Connery, yeah, they didn't have Viagra then, so Connery like needed a sex double. <laughs> but I That's like a that good shot cut. of them. Yeah, I was just saying of them yeah. sliding into the water. Like yeah. I thought, yeah. I don't know. I think that that's a little bit of a gem in in this film. Well, the, well, the point I want to make is like they were trying to advance the kind of Bond sex scene that uh, compared with Eon, mm-hmm. and, and they and, and they succeeded. <laughs> going to dive a little bit into pornography here with our with our soundtrack but <laughs> yeah and, and, also, and also you know not shying away from showing it really as mm-hmm. opposed to right of- oh yeah because this was pg so it's yeah. like this is pg and it's like still doing then, more than you know, did. the thing in sort of the 80s wasn't it you got quite a few films that kind of had the it was always like a like whether it was Terminator or Highlander, you always had like yeah. a thirty second artistic sex scene that yeah. just you sat kind of, kind of uncomfortably through. <laughs> it was to it was to check the box for the video rental. Yeah, and just as you say, talking about like discomfort. It's something I talk to my students about how awkward it is to watch. Like it, when you watch a Bond film and it's like, oh, they're about to have sex, but then they cut mm-hmm. away. It's fine because you can still watch that with your parents. 
Right. When there's graphic sex on scene, right. like nobody's comfortable watching it with a family member who's not your spouse well, or partner. Can I tell you, you, what, I mean? what, can I tell you one that's worse than that is um, sitting in a theater with the queen <gasps> and then having Halle Berry make grunty noises on top of Pierce Brosnan. Uh, <laughs> knowing that she's watching it a few rows away. Yeah. When you're like, and, this is, I don't think a single person in the theater breathed, moved. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, some of the lines Halle Berry got, I got the mm. rest of it and all that other stuff. Now there's a mouthful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. The whole. The, I mean, it, like, I can't believe we're going to. Like, we're in the middle of an action sequence where he's being chased by a shark and we're talking about Die Another Day. Well, we have to get the Die Another Day reference in. Yeah. So we succeeded. Why are they looking at this sh- sh- sunken ship? Um, well, that's a, lot, a lot of divers do that, you know. It's like a thing to dive around. Uh, <laughs> are they just killing time? Is there any yeah, agency? Or well, uh, well she she planted this uh, homing device on his oxygen oh, yes. tank. Yeah. yeah. No, I know that, but like, why okay. were they down there in the first place? Just well, on the lot? I mean, wrecks are a lot of are often the things that that divers will will yeah. go and dive around. Like they they're in, they usually kind of form natural reefs and. They are quite. I mean, not that I dive. Yeah, at there all. You go. They, they, um, they are. Yeah, they are great to dive, but I'm not really sure that's the question that Calvin yeah, has. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that, that, that's all well and good. I, I'm fine with that. I just want to know what that does for the plot. There is just genuinely that they're not really doing anything other than kind of leisurely. Did that, did that shark get some glass what? in its face? Yeah, essentially. I'm sorry. Essentially, Fatima Blush is a variation on the Black Widow type character. Fiona was one. There have been many others where it's like, make love to the hero before and that you shot kill just him. got crushed as well. Like in real life? Oh, I'm not liking it. It looks like it. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, I keep wondering if these are fake or. I mean, and when I say fake, it's like, obviously, this looks more realistic than Jaws. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just it killed looks- some sharks and, you know, shoved a rod up it or something. Well, you know, in uh. Thunderball, they, they definitely shot. Um, spears into real sharks oh yeah yeah Yeah, it's like yeah like yeah there was no concern about uh (laughs) animal cruelty in that film Mm, don't forget you know one of the drafts of the uh mcclory projects it was sharks were going to be robots in the subways of new york yeah well that was um, that was um james bond of the secret service or warhead depending on which script you saw but uh yeah he did like to dive, but it, yeah. when, when I'm diving, I don't like to see sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering where she's fishing because you know there's plenty of fish in the sea. Like if you can fish, I'll just beat you to it. Did I beat you? Yeah, you did. Conveniently close to where Bond was. About what are they doing out there? It seems like Bond does have time to dive. Oh. No. I like the killing time would be a good chapter title. I like the fact that she's dancing around thinking that she killed him. Like she's yeah. like legit celebrating and living her best life and then go, she's like, yeah. oh crap. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Oliver Brown should do the dungarees. Right. Yeah. <laughs> with with sharp. I like how she says bye to the band. Yeah. Oh. 
That's what I mean. Like I called her a brave performer earlier, and I think she is. Like she's not afraid to go big. She's not afraid to just camp it up and do all the silly things. But I, I think it's good that she does all that. Um, I think she brings a lot of energy to an otherwise quite dull film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. For the most part, I agree with you. But again, when we get closer to her demise, it's like, oh, it, it drives me up the wall. <laughs> because it becomes an excuse for Bond, her demise, the way she behaves becomes an excuse for Bond to get his rocket pen that he mm-hmm. got from Q a few reels earlier. Well, you know, that's not the first time that that's happened in, a, in, a, in the Bond films. Oh no, but but her performance, her over the top part though, I want you to write me a letter about what a great lover I was. Uh, like yeah. uh no, no. <laughs> I just wonder if it's like, oh Bob the Builder, your usual sweet, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and just to to Calvin's point about like playing it up, you also have to have a lot of confidence to play up the costuming that she's that she's wearing. Like she wears no, it no. with such confidence and she also wears it with such elegance. And yeah, I, I have to give her a lot of credit for just embodying this, this role as well as she did. Mm. So, okay, here's, here's some more, um, more sexier scenes than you had in the Yon films. So it's like, you know, the, clearly that was a goal of the filmmakers. So in that regard, they succeeded. How did they know what room that he was in? Sorry to interrupt, Bill, but like, he just got no, called. No, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> but like, mm. you know, the, the whole, the whole thing about this was like, um, you know, he'd gone to her room rather than his room, right? Yeah. And then he got a call from Small Force. Nigel. Yeah. Nigel. Mm-hmm. Her, anyway. I do like the way that they cut that to kind of give you the impression that, like, you know, she does like to flinch when explosions go off. Yeah. Which I kind of like. I'm sure it's just the actress reacting, but she does kind of manage to play it off almost like she's just had a little sort of sexual sort of moment. Uh, Tingle. Yeah, which is quite nice. So here's where uh, Connery got the best of Roger Moore because, of course, Roger Moore had to go to India. It's like, where are you going, uh, Sean? Oh, I'm going to the south of France. <laughs> oh, great. You dumb bastard. <laughs> uh, Stay at my house. <laughs> Anonymous airline. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is still. Oh, yeah. it is. Oh, right. Yeah, it's a poster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that oh. would have been really low budget. When <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, which is nice, just as the picture of Nice came on, which I thought was, <laughs> I don't know if it was in the bag, but like I was. So uh-huh. here we meet our sacrificial lamb, but. Uh, not that we really get to know her very well, but uh, but we checked off that box. Is it Paula? Is she called Paula in this one? Oh, oh I forget. I don't think she is. I think mm. she's a French. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's Felix. They're just best of friends. They play practical jokes on each other all the time. Uh, <laughs> So Felix walks around every day with a cricket ball just in case he sees yeah, <laughs> What do you think of the casting here? Because I know that when we talk about Casino Royale, we look at the fact that we have a black actor playing Felix Leiter. And there's even in some of the dialogue, a little bit of racial coding. How did mm-hmm. you feel about the casting of this actor in this particular role? And did you think uh, his representation is, is, is problematic or is it appropriate? What do you think about him? 
Well, in the United States, Bernie Casey was reasonably well known mm-hmm. and like pretty likable. It, I mean, it makes sense. If you, I mean, I think they made a conscious decision. Oh, we'll just we'll make Felix black, and so mm-hmm. Connery like, picked him, right? And um, I, I I like him. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he, he's a good actor. It's yeah. Yeah, mm. I, I like him. I, I respect the decision to to do that because that wouldn't really necessarily have been. You know, we get we get controversy when um uh, you know like we get like a female superhero or you know like mm-hmm. a female doctor who or yes. you know, whatever, whatever it might be so so you know these kind of con- controversial kind of like uh, in, in inverted commas controversial kind of uh, casting choices even now seem to kind of um raise a few eyebrows um Whereas you know, I think this was a brave choice on 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 their part, considering the time that it was done. What music so, is she listening to on that boat? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dancing in this film. And to yeah. your point, Ben, like I again, I've only seen it once, and I tried to pay attention to a bunch of stuff, but I don't really think that his race is really brought up as being something like like a point that we have to address. And there's something really powerful about the unremarkable, about just presenting yeah. characters as human beings yeah. and not yeah. defining them based on being different from the status quo. And I really do feel with him, they could have cast any actor in this role of, of any race, and he's still playing like Felix Leiter, yeah, and it's something I appreciate. Much. I I hundred percent agree uh, because I think it's 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 about just you know normalizing mm-hmm. like, people who the, people who exist in the real world. Yeah. Um, so it with the trees so weird. Like she even she looks, even looks like and he's just stood there. Yeah, he's just stood there by a tree, just being mm. weird. Being <laughs> what, what forms do you have to fill out to get a massage? <laughs> That's a lot of writing. Mm. Uh, by the way, um, so Kim Basinger, after production wrap, cut her hair short for another film, and then they had to do a lot of reshoots. So if her hair looks weird in any shot, it's a wig and it's a reshoot. Oh. <laughs> and they also had to pay her extra to come back. Yeah. Mm. I think it was like an extra 50 grand to come back and do reshoots. Mm-hmm. I just... Oh God! The whole magic penis of Bond of just like all he has to do is look at somebody and they're like, "Oh my God, yeah, you can do anything you want." It's just like, especially uh, in this when he's looking a bit past his best. <laughs> it's just like that Donald Trump thing where he goes, "I just walk in and see see the girls just because it's my pageant kind of thing." Mm. A bit creepy. Mm. Yeah. Here it just plays like someone's dad's turned up to like. Collect them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that. In the uh, when the when this film came out, the Wall Street Journal did a review and talked about the age difference between Connor and his various female leads. <laughs> Sometimes um, my wife will say, "Can you give me a massage?" But I need you to be professional. This is the scene that plays in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. It's like I'm not a professional. Is <laughs> uh, his tattoos on display? Mm. Yeah. So, does anybody want to talk about how awful and awkward this scene is? Because it makes me feel. I've been waiting for you to talk about how yeah, awkward it is. I'm, I'm in. I'm. I'm going to mute just so I can listen. It's it's incredibly uncomfortable because obviously she's assuming he is somebody 
who's different than he is. He literally is a stranger who's come up. She's naked with just a towel on. And then the scene here of him where he's standing, where her hand is actually. um, And it's just so much about this is very sexual in nature. And she looks very violated by the end. Um, the look that she gives and all of it just comes across as being very weird to me. There's there's a difference between a massage for therapeutic purposes, Uh right? And a massage for arousal. And the way that Connery does it is very much the latter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what is he doing exactly? I mean, I've had had my share of massages. I don't think anyone's done the twinkle toes walk down my back. Right, and and there's like one shot. It looks like he's about to ejaculate his pants. Mm -hmm. Right there, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, it's it's not a great, not a great thing. Gee, the saxophone. I mean, we've we've talked, Lisa, before about you know the necessity of an agent to kind of extract information and blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but one does feel that this is, uh, you know, that there, there would have been better ways to do this, and this this feels kind of, well, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, it is a del- it is a violation. It's um, mm-hmm. that usually what happens if you know if he, if he's betting a girl and getting a, 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 a you know getting some information from them, there is at least a degree of kind of awareness on their part that you know there is a. Um, you know, a consent aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas she, there's no consent here. There's the crash zoom. Yeah. Well, I just dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But she smiles. And there's also like this sexualization in both this and 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 Thunderball, but this, I think this film in, in particular, and I'm thinking of the other practitioner who was doing like the cracking and it looked like a sexual movement. Like there is a sexualization of, these therapies and it always concerns me that people might consider like that to be appropriate conduct when it's when it's not you know massage therapists are there doing a job and the job is to try to help your back feel 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 better and they're not there to give you the happy ending you know um (laughs) that that oftentimes people associate with with massages (laughs) i went there um You know, when when I see it, it just in such overt terms, I'm like, oh gosh, no, just because it does look like a violation. But once again, there's that notion of like the, 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 she, I mean, she plays it as being a violation and then you have, oh, but the smile makes it okay at the end. But the question is, does it really? And I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. think it does, especially with, like you said, the zoom into her face was, it just punctuates the, oh God, what just happened? Well, remember with Live and Let Die, it's like first she accuses Bond of being physical violation, and then it's like, oh, can we have sex again? Mm-hmm. And smiles. So it's like, yeah, a similar kind of thing. Yeah. I think this is this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy's acting the heck out of this. In fact, I remember seeing a still from that from this scene in the lead up and it's like boy Connery's looking really good and that guy looks scared it's like yeah and we still haven't heard Connery say Bond James Bond until coming up here so it's like that was kind of like part of an extended tease I think they didn't want to have him say it right away but he meets up again with Domino here 
and will finally say it. Hmm. Sorry, that co- that uh, hairpiece still doesn't look good. I don't mm-hmm. care how how you how well you light it. <laughs> <laughs> I do like him putting the gun in the ice ice bucket, though. That's that's a nice touch. Yeah, looks a pretty rundown casino, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. They had mm-hmm. to rent it during the off hours. <laughs> <laughs> was it even a casino? Or was it just a hotel ballroom that got dressed as a casino? Yeah, it's <laughs> might something be right. like that because it's it just. Drab. It's. Uh... I think the soft focus is a mm-hmm. mistake as well. There's something just quite. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is not an attractive looking film um, yeah. in the way it's shot. Well, it, all these kinds it, of things. It's kind. It's kind of a music video style in a way. Well, yeah. the, um, the director of uh, photography was Douglas Slocum, who was <laughs> actually very a genius. Renowned. Yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe he had an off day here. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, a part of it is the transfer that we're watching as well. Uh, you know, who knows? Um, oh, we're about to come into the arcade, aren't we? The video I games. I oh, love yes. this. This was yeah. probably one of my favorite. I don't know. People ask me, like, well, can you explain the game? I'm like, no. But <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that, you know, you have a video game. You have the rise of video game culture and arcades. So Bond is tapping into that. I love the fact that, oh, you know, Timothy by the Dalton. <laughs> but I love the fact oh, that yeah. well, that video games is it, it is a skill, right? And anybody who plays video games knows it takes a lot of time to become good at a game. And I love when he's sparring off against Largo. Like it's about him. He's going to make mistakes, and then he's going to sort of reel him in and come out on top. And I love the little zapping component that reminded me a lot of like Ghostbusters and like the the experiment at the beginning, and that there's a pain element to it. And so. Everything about what is coming up is 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 definitely. I think the video game is yeah. my favorite part of the film. When we do the uh, James Bond theme park, we can have an arcade room now. Oh, <laughs> yes, I don't disagree with anything you said necessarily, Lisa. I I just don't like it. it I, I I feel like it is pandering, and it is quite like, oh God, we've got a you know a fifty odd year old leading man. We need to bring in the kids somehow. What's current and relevant? Oh, it's video games. Yes, and. I mean, obviously, people don't get, you know, I I don't know if this thought it was forward thinking at the time, um, but obviously things did not go this way, as far as I'm aware, anyway. I don't go into classy casinos. I don't know if they've got an arcade room, but uh, as far as I'm aware, this hasn't become the norm. No, they did not. I mean, like, I mean, clearly <laughs> Atari was a corporate partner of this film. They did sponsor it with, Cent- they did sponsor it with Centipede and Galaxians. So I've got an alternate take, and this is probably reading way too much into the – like, I'm giving them too much credit. I, I think the, the reason to use the video game is to give Bond a challenge that the audience knows he's not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's unfamiliar territory. It's unfamiliar, and he's seen as being an older agent all through the start of the film, and the, mm-hmm. you know, and all the rest of it. So, to put him in a position where you know he's not got the upper hand, mm-hmm. right? And still versus manages to was, figure it out. Yeah, versus if it was a card game or golf or something. Yeah, right. I kind of dig it. I don't know. Well, and also, again, for those you know, for those of us who were there, it's like video game arcades were a thing in 1983 mm-hmm. they were all over the place and to the point where it's like you you would um search out cheat sheets to how to <laughs> how to advance the, when you played a video game here here like the little tricks to learn so it's like all of that was a thing back then mm. 
I, I mean, I know, I know that the official series is a couple of years away from A View to a Kill at this point, which deals with microchips and has a little yeah. robot and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know if it was just a zeitgeist thing. Like at the time, this was just a time in the mid 80s where everyone was sort of movie execs were going like tech mad or video like, oh, God, the video games are really popular. How can we, you know, incorporate this into our media in some way? I, it feels quite reactionary in that respect uh, yeah i think so also um this game that bond and Largo are about to play there's this kind of metallic robotic voice and it's the same metallic robotic voice that was in a right. popular u.s show called battlestar galactica in 1978-79 yeah. mm. and uh like the si- voice of the cylons <laughs> like, oh. right so the other thing in the zeitgeist was uh war games came out in the same year Mm. Oh, uh, I love that film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Mm. Okay. In fact, released by MGM, maybe. Yes. Yes. With uh, Matthew Broderick. That's right. When he was a kid. And one of those weird Hollywood movies where <clears throat> they actually had real tech in it, like the phone freaking and, and all that stuff was accurate in the film. That's why I liked so, it. Spain's only worth 9,000 in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> it's just like like Battleship, only with countries rather than... With, with countries and with lights instead yeah. of like a board and <laughs> old pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never knew that ivory was could conduct electricity. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? No, but isn't that like copper? Yeah, it looks sick. Okay. Yeah. You know right. what? There was also in an episode of the Avengers where, like, uh, Diana Rigg was in a death trap, and it's like a driving simulation. And she's got to hold on to these things, and it's like electrocuted, so she has to like steer. You know, in this driving simulation, she has to steer it right, otherwise she'll get electrocuted. That reminds me of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I, I reckon that the 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 um. Every five years or every ty- 10 years, I think it is, uh, we have to renew our driving licenses in Spain. And they give you two joysticks and a kind of video game. So I wonder if they based it on, on this film. Because it, it's such a weird thing. It's nothing, it's nothing like driving when you do it. And uh, it makes absolutely no sense as far as I can see. But, uh, <laughs> but you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, when you watched this for the first time yesterday, could you follow along with the the strategy of the game no because i've never been able to figure it out (laughs) no No. i have no idea what the what it is all i all i know is that bond has a very steep learning curve and he definitely just lets the 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 amount that that is owed go go up quite steeply and then just kicks his butt yeah Oh, sorry, go on. It, I, I was just going to say, it, it's probably similar to le- the level of understanding the writers had of, of video games in those days. <laughs> oh, David, I was just about to say the same thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you can raise me no. and put Calvin in instead. <laughs> no, 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 I was just going to say the same thing, because it's like the rules of the game itself. Like, I get that they have to shoot these little triangle quadrants, whatever, but why they're going all over the place with their joystick thing, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why do you just start with one, work your way down? It's... it. it it does feel like it's uh, the rules of this video game were not well thought out. It was just stick a video game in there. Yeah, it's well, like, cool. How, have you ever played uh, Space Invaders? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, people won't believe this. Like, I went to video arcades in those ga- mm. in those days. It's like I played Space Invaders and other games like that. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, to still, start we- with, there was only space invaders. <laughs> space invaders. There was. There, there were other things. Then, then but there, there was. Uh, I think it was asteroids. Was the second one we had in you, the UK. You you went to. Uh, oh, there was like this thing. You would uh, put your dollar bills, and you get tokens, and like you <laughs> use the tokens and, in the games, and just like friend, you know, friend of mine um, <clears throat> rescues arcade machines from places closing down. Huh. And and uh, refurbishes them for collectors. He's oh, having a big resurgence in parts of the states. And I've there's also for- arcade bars, like grown-up bars mm-hmm. that have all of your yep. favorite arcade games. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there was also Frogger, which was featured in an episode, <gasps> I think, of Seinfeld. Frogger. That was like- that's right. When he has to to keep his high score, he has to move it across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You can tell when they have the optical shots because the background gets darker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I do think the lighting in here is better than the original when he first walks in, where it just felt like it was just like daytime and it was just like foggy and daytime versus here. I like the type of lighting where it looks a little bit darker in the background. There's a little bit more of a spotlight effect. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bond has now like escalated the stakes to the rest of the world, $325,000. And suddenly he becomes adept at playing this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but maybe he was uh, sharking him. Could be. Like a pool shark who deliberately plays badly to get the odds, to get the stakes increased and then plays his real game mm-hmm. afterwards. Maybe. Or maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> Is that a gun barrel? Oh, yeah. no. No. <laughs> That's why we have the scene. <laughs> Sneak it in there. The lawyers won't notice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing the lawyers that Broccoli had employed, uh, if there was even a hint, I think they would have come down like so hard on this film. I mean, like Broccoli's lawyers were like looking at it frame by frame. I'm going to do that after we finish and bring up the 4K version and, and have a look at that because that looks suspiciously like a gun barrel. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or their version, maybe how how far they could get with it, right? Right. Yeah, going they did up it in red limit, instead yeah. of yeah. <laughs> oh, and here's the line: "Like, are you as gracious when you lose? I don't know. I've never lost." <laughs> Make it up to cash. I like the checkbook, oh. though. That's something that was just, you just have this big, anytime Bond goes to the casino and you always have the villain like signing that big piece of paper. <laughs> he got it from the uh, Kamal Khan uh, estate sale. <laughs> of Kamal Khan, actually, yeah. Do, do you need a checkbook explained to you, Calvin? I want dancing. Yeah, okay. I was just going to say, what do we think about the dance? Because when I think about like I, spies and dancing, I think of like true lies. And I've, <laughs> I've never seen Bond outside of, of this film really engage in, in a tango. Is this is tango? Yeah, a tango of sorts. Yeah, tango, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, I, I will say this as uh, my kind of opinion. Second. I hate this scene because, oh, yes. because here he's telling Domino, oh, your brother's been killed. But let's keep doing this. T- yeah, you know, let's keep doing this campy yeah, tango. To do, to do that, break that news properly. You've got to have the girl's toe in your mouth or something like the original <laughs> Thunderbolt. So come on. I just don't know how they got to this point where they're going to dance in front of everyone watching. Like this isn't like a kind of everyone's dancing, but then this one couple starts going to the extreme and everyone sort of steps back. This scene begins with everyone just 
watching these two dancing. Uh, I don't know how you organize such a thing. Um, um, you organize well, it by well, the production surprised- manager saying like, Okay, you extras, you you go back yeah, there. I, well, yes. looking, looking at some of the extras, I don't think they could be dancing anyway. <laughs> no, one thing I'm surprised about on this podcast is how many uh, experts we have on dance. <laughs> my, my dancing abilities are limited to pogo. <laughs> Can we talk about her dress, by the go way? Ahead. Like, her costumes become – they. I mean, they get – they just start to like. They're just they get bigger. I'm trying to find words. Like like the the, the size tends to get bigger. There's more material. The fabric here, here is like looks like a garbage bag. And then you know we get the pirate outfit near the end. And I think she's she's living her best life in 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 this costume. But they just become right. more and more extreme. The material looks like a garbage bag. What do you think they, of it? It's like a shiny. Yeah. Her outfits bag. get more outlandish as the film progresses. That's what There's I was trying to say. There's definitely something weird going on with the lens here because all the lights are like you get vertical bleed on all the lights. It's mm, yeah. mm-hmm. and everyone's watching this awkward scene between the three of them. This love triangle going on. Yeah, that just strictly come bonding. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to get voted off this week? <laughs> Oh, and um, Largo is telling her a lie about, oh, your brother, he's not, he's not here yet. He's not here yet because he's dead. But yeah, that's right. And, but this is a nice end to that joke. Um, oh, thank you. Um, in other words, he fooled the guy the entire time and he just faints. And, bond yeah. with, and Connery's bond with a cigar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He borrowed. He stole it from Roger Moore the last time yeah. they met. So at this yeah. point, Bond's plan is what he's told Domino his brother's dead. Mm-hmm. He's pissed off the villain. He's agitated the villain, and he's going to have some fruit. <laughs> and he's going to dispose of his fruit on a piece of, uh, I guess some 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 art, which I think is a little uh. A little rude you don't go to somebody's house and you're like here's my apple this is, crunch this is the escher house but he, he, it wouldn't be a, a connery bond if it didn't have fruit in it i like how the stairs are also in the ceiling yeah yeah it, it's that, like that's, the, that's it, a it's like, that's, sorry that's one of ben's jokes sean connery's favorite artist is mc escher <laughs> <laughs> and also new guardrails ah. No guardrails, Adam. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I lost my video, so that's why I've been just quietly listening to you guys do your thing. Um, Nothing says stealth like eating an apple walking around the house. <laughs> Chomp. Yeah, I think that's the uh, goddess Callie in that little statue. Mm. But the yeah, I think so too. Yeah, crunch. So is this oh. supposed to be a waterbed? Yes, and uh, it's like, say goodbye to the extra we hardly got to know, but she's the yeah. uh, sacrificial lamb. That's the problem with waterbeds as a couple. You just find yourselves drifting apart. But did you know, uh, when I saw it, I thought it was a pool table. 
<laughs> well, it is a kind of pool it table. It is a pool table. Oh. <laughs> All right, clip it, folks. That's the highlight. <laughs> what is this music? This is like 70s oh. British TV. Like, this should be like on the Persuaders or something. Uh, again, Michelle Gr- Legrand was a great composer, but like not in this film. Da 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 da. French, French composers in the James Bond series don't mix, do they? Yeah, no, and they how, don't. How did he know that there was a motorbike that he could just like he, cut he into? And get- this is this is what Q gave him. Yeah, um, when like, did that uh, happen? Way he back in the, the airport, scene. Felix. That's what's in the the crate. Yeah, oh, I did not catch that. Q anyway, showed him the scene. Q showed it to him the the yeah. frame, and then Felix said, "Yes, I, I stand corrected slightly that." Uh, Felix said, yeah. "Yeah, Q said this." I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Lisa. I, I I didn't get it either. But um, also, the last time I saw this was twenty plus years ago. <laughs> when, when, when did you say the last time you saw this was? <laughs> it's less than twenty four hours ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, and also, this is not a same- real Bond vehicle, but whatever. Yeah, it is. It's a real Bond vehicle. Well, it's a real vehicle, <laughs> vehicle, but it's not. It's not. Bondish, I I don't know. What? It's no. it's as if you asked somebody who hadn't seen a James Bond film to create a a, a gadget motorbike, and this is kind of what they come up with. It looks like something that you'd seen in IT like a an eighties cartoon. Uh, some of the some of the motorcycle stunts here are phenomenally hard. Speaking uh, of, speaking of like camp costumes in this film, I mean, where do they get these trucker dudes? Yeah, <laughs> with flat caps with and chains. <laughs> kind of the uh, you know village people of uh, uh, <laughs> the underworld aren't they? <laughs> um, but yeah this uh, they, they do the they do this jump over the bike uh, over the like the bike jumps over a car um later on and it and it's essentially like he has to actually jump as he's going along that's an extremely hard thing to do and i think he completely fucks the bike when he lands um and nearly yeah, nearly, uh, nearly killed the stuntman doing that. Wow! But to Lisa, just I was going to say that when you meet when you meet Bond and Q to, or Algernon together in the in the lab, the engine and the bike and bits of the bike are surrounding them. So you, it is kind of foreshadowed earlier on, right? If you notice, um, they've duct taped over some of the logos on the cars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just oh. noticed that. I was about to comment on it as well. Why? Because they haven't paid to be in the film. Oh, yeah. God. I've, I've seen this on American TV, so, yeah. Hmm. So he actually did that jump going along. That's a, that, I mean, that's a hugely dangerous <laughs> stunt. Um, oh, and the music is awful here. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. This score is all over the place. I think you improved it, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good bell. <laughs> yeah, this is very Street Hawk, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's not. I mean, I get it. Thursday, were... 8 7 Central on NBC. <laughs> it's like if Knight Rider were a, a motorbike, it would be this. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that sim- early Simpsons episode where it's like, instead of Knight Rider, it's a boat. And they always find a con- <laughs> they always find a convenient stream to chase yeah. the villain. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
At least it hasn't got any neon glowing on it or anything. You know, it hasn't got like a. Okay. We're coming up on uh, Fatima's demise, and it's like, so, it's awful. So she knew they'd end up in a place with uh, a, sh- a ship's mast. So she yep. came dressed for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, <as a> <laughs> oh, God. What is she wearing? Because it looks I sort of like a bin liner and. What is Plastic that? Plastic bags. Oh. Garbage bags. It's the garbage bag thing. Yeah. It's pirate garbage. It's like Blade Runner. Track bags. Blade Runner meets Hook. <laughs> it's, it's hard okay. not to take, it's like how do you take this fully seriously well, I, I was about to say okay so here we get to the point i was talking about earlier it's like you know okay she's been entertainingly over the top but here mm-hmm. she goes she doesn't just go way overboard she goes off the cliff and then down and then crashes and it's just i want you to write a letter about what a great lover i was like what Really? Yeah, well, you know, I never, I never took that as out of character at all. Though I thought she's so unhinged, and this guy's bit. This, this is the man that's so it, far escaped her. You know, efforts to kill him. Like, and so, it, yeah, he, the way he sort of says, you know, I was going to put you in my memoirs. Kind of is kind of sowing the seeds of of of, uh, of writing. You know, getting his pen out, basically. Yeah. Uh, we 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 can't think of another reason for him pen. to get his pen out. Other than no, for her no, to be playing to her, he's playing to her kind no, of. No, she's so. not. He's not playing to her. She's begging for it's like take your pen out and please blow me up with it. I mean, I'm, <laughs> again, I'm sorry. That's my opinion, and you know, I I don't. But I, I think don't. there's something interesting here, and I was thinking about it this morning. Um, you know, typically when we think about like the lover, we think we think that it's a man, right? That the man is the one who can make love and mm-hmm. who can be the best lover. And there's something in sort of the world of Bond about Bond being this this lover that women gravitate to him in a very sort of heteronormative sense. And here you have a woman sort of playing up the Fiona Volpe element, being like, "Tell me that I'm the best lover," as if trying to sort of match that sort of sexual um uh bravado that that bond is typically known to have although bond doesn't say i'm the best lover in the world we just see the results of it and so yeah. I, I sort of was reading it a little bit in that lens about trying to be you know his his sexual match if not you know superseding him uh in in some way well that was just I'll, my reading well here's here's my experience at the time so after a number of years where like some of my Bond friends, oh, Roger Moore is like terrible. His movies are too jokey. And we get this. Like, mm-hmm. wait, what? I thought Connery yeah, but, was supposed to be a serious Bond. It's yeah, like we I, have I, this I ridiculous. Like, I like the fact that it doesn't work properly. Well, that's fine. But I mean, the whole point, though, is the fact it got this far with mm-hmm. like, I mean, uh, I mean, just. No, I I agree with you, but I like I like that she gets blown up and that all you know all we see is like two sort of smoking stilettos. I think that's fantastic. But yeah. how they get to that point is a mm-hmm. real stretch. That is sort of like you know it's working backwards. It's like okay, we want him to use this gadget to do this to this character. How do we get there? Yeah, but leaving the smoking stilettos, it seems like it's more out of the Wizard of Oz than it is out of Bond. Oh, it, totally. Yeah, it, it was Looney Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really- I like Speaking it. of Looney Tunes. And then this happens. <laughs> they don't have clothes on. Like, what's going on? 
Right, and Felix, but Felix still has his dress shoes on while yeah, he's in that's the how skibby. I've been running as well. That's what I've been doing wrong all these years. <laughs> Training in my dress shoes. All right. Oh wow! But here's here's the one thing though. This film shares in uh, common with Thunderball. It's like once uh, Fiona dies in Thunderball, and once uh, Fiona dies in this film, a lot of the air gets let yeah, out of the film. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. <laughs> And we've only got 43 minutes left. (laughs) (laughs) So on this boat, does he have um, a a home, a movie theatre with oak panelling? From, yeah, from Magnolia. (laughs) 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 One thing we haven't talked about is McClory was lining up Lazenby to do this um, movie until Connery came around and said he'd do it. Really? (laughs) Yep. How would that have changed your opinion of this? Well, probably. I think it would have been a better film. Yeah, I, I, I think that too. Because ten million dollars could have gone towards the production versus. (laughs) But also, I think it it would be would have been setting people's expectations at the time differently as well. And I I think it it, because uh, Lazenby in the nineteen eighties wasn't on a Majesty's Secret Service wasn't held up as. One of the great Bond films mm-hmm. um, in the nineteen in the nineteen eighties, George Lazenby was the answer to a trivia question. Hmm. Mm. Sorry, I I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, 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 no, but, but uh, yeah, I I think Lazenby would have been an interesting choice. And I mean, Connery already came back once. I mean, he already did the Diamonds Are Forever. You know, Bond is back. Now this is Bond is back and back again. Like yeah. the second <laughs> Bond time is Bond back is back. Um, yeah, Bond uh, is back but, too. Bond is back, poking eye in Cubby Broccoli's eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> poking him in the eye. Doink. Mm-hmm. Um, or, um, as he, he would say, uh, pissing in his ear. Mm. Well, I've mentioned this in previous episodes. Which is a true in, story. In the U.S., there was a U.S. James Bond fan club, and they published a magazine called Bondage. And they were mm-hmm. all in on this film. All in. And so, yeah, like, half that covers with this film. And they, um, and, and they like put two of their covers were devoted to this. And one of them, it was like this one still of Connery. It was like the main publicity still. And it said, Sean Connery is back as James Bond. And never say never again. And then just below it, also Octopussy. <laughs> right. I, 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 I don't think Eon appreciated that. Because they had a relationship with Eon. And it's like Eon's going, guys, you're like mm-hmm. poking us in the eye. And we don't really like it. Yeah, and publication didn't last very long thereafter. No, just uh, one one thought about the name. They in in Thunderball book and film, it's the Disco Volante, which is flying saucer in Italian, and they they just go for flying saucer in this, which uh, you know it's very literal, but um, (laughs) it's kind of a bit uh, flat. It's not very bondish. Why? Why didn't they? uh, translate it to a, a different language. Mm. Mm. Yeah, That's actually really smart. Stuff. Yeah. Mm. Or call um, it anything else. Obviously, they could have done that. Um, like they could have done it the earthbound square or something like that. But, um, <laughs> I love that. If I ever have a boat, I'm calling it that. <laughs> but also, also, they rented a uh, yacht from a rich Arab guy. This, mm. you know, I mean, for those exterior Was it, shots. Yeah. 
it yeah. got sold a, a few years back. Uh, it was on. Uh, I remember there was a big thing about it being the you know the James Bond yacht getting sold, and I was just like, well, you know, it's it's the one from Never Say Never Again. <laughs> I mean, it has. It does have the two-way mirror. That sounds like a conversation between a married couple, and one of them bought the boat. And you're like, "What's the movie?" And the other, and the spouse is like, "Is it?" (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can see right through her top. Oh yeah, half the film. Calvin, I'm surprised at you. I'm surprised at me too. (laughs) Yeah, you better be careful. You might poke your eyes out there. Um. Maybe that's what happened to Patachi. <laughs> that's how they removed the one eye. Although I do have to say, you have to be careful about like fabrics and stuff like that because you might think when you put it on this. I've had this issue before where you think like you're fine, you're wearing like a beige bra, like you can't see anything, and then mm. you either look in the mirror, you have a picture taken, you're like, you can see my bra. Um, mm. And so what you see in the mirror versus how a, ca- a camera captures cap captures you or how the the light captures you you might not realize it now i don't know if this is accidental or intentional or you know if they're really just trying to overtly sexualize her but sometimes i I, I I think in a film like this it must be deliberate yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. but it does happen Mm. in fact um um stanley donan once said that there is nothing in any frame of film that is not deliberate he was like he was talking specifically about uh um singing in the rain and the Gene Kelly thing, but it's like you know it's where he's like singing that song, it's like all these puddles, those puddles were like designed to be there. It's like you know, it's all designed. So it's like when it comes to clothing, when it comes mm-hmm. to fabric, you know, that's all. That's there there's nothing left to chance on a movie. Tell that to the peeing dog in Thunderball. That's right. Once in a while, well, once in a while, the, the, but, but even the, then, though, it's like the, the producer's bed, flying sword. But 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 then, <laughs> though, like the producer said, put the peeing dog back in. So mm, it's still yeah. deliberate in that regard. Well, I think there are there are occasionally happy accidents, um, and occasionally there are unhappy accidents. I mean, there are there are definitely continuity errors that. Uh, make their way into into finished films and you know there are whole websites devoted to just that thing so as deliberate as you know you might think everything is um there are occasionally you know things that kind of just make their way in conveniently everybody else please thing to say and stop getting dead no, it's not controversial. It's like I think that tends to happen more on television, where there's like tighter deadlines. Yeah, so there, were, there were literally websites that just like deal with, you know, um, continuity errors, and also just like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I 100% agree. Everything is planned. Everything is like nothing is accidental necessarily, um, but those things do happen, and um, I think often when you've got things that are happening, you know, in a studio, but then are filmed several months later on location and then you have to marry those things up. You know, there are often things that do. Um, how many times have we seen Bond pull out a gun that switches to another gun and then switches right. to another gun and then switches back again because they didn't have that particular prop on that location or, you know, or that right. 
So things like that do happen. And and as deliberate as everything is planned to be, um, the, the famous kind of thing where, you know, Bond shoots Professor Dent, he doesn't have the, the PPK because it doesn't cycle with the, it, the with the blanks and the silencer. So they got a they got a different weapon. Those those are things that you have to kind of like just hope for on the day. To a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it also helped by the fact that in those days um you couldn't watch films frame by frame like we can now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if I mean, you, 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 can, you can edit it, you can edit it and move it along so fast that people don't have enough time to linger on on details like that and notice them. Well, quite. Um, but even even um, you know, even films that are made now that are going to go under scrutiny do go on to you know to have their um, Blu-rays and you know the, and and have you know huge budgets still. There were still things that kind yeah, of sneaked but in. In fact, Ben, I'd argue that that is a deliberate uh, choice. That they 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 couldn't use the the PPK, and they knew they couldn't. But they made a, a deliberate uh, decision to replace it with something else because they thought they could get by. And for you know, for for most of uh, the film's life, they were able to get away with that because I, I can't imagine it was that long it, ago that it was actually noticed. Well, no, that's true. I mean, okay, but then uh, they also have in the same film. You know, he switches to a, a Colt 1911A1 uh, in the swamp, but then switches back to a PPK in that same, or a PP rather, I should say, in that same scene. It's just obviously somebody at the props department didn't have it that day, or, you know, it's like it's literally one cut and it's like, oh, let's give him, let's give him this gun. And I, I don't know, you know, that. Well, I, I, I tell you what, I will back off from my semi absolutist uh, comment. A few minutes ago, but uh, still, there's a lot planned. I, you do oh. have occasional stuff like the sword yeah. and die another day. Because, and so I, forth. I mean, if if we go back to the the, the uh, source of this whole topic, you know, if it was a wardrobe malfunction, uh, it may have been accidental that you could see through her, her top, but uh, they would have noticed that, and so that they must have made a decision whether to continue mm-hmm. as it was mm-hmm. or, or not to. So, I think yeah, the director it's, it's, of photography it may have been partly accidental, but there was a deliberate choice there as well. Yeah, I think I think the director of photography definitely noticed. Mm. If nobody else on the crew did, he did. The dance instructor didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was saying, I was going to say, the, it was definitely Barbara Carrera definitely had some boob on show as well earlier on um, in some scenes. So I, yeah, I would imagine it was you know a way of getting that kind of nudity into the films without it. Yeah. attracting the attention of censors and and like i said a couple of times clearly with this production they were like willing to go more out there than eon was at the same time period Mm. although you do see a bit of uh maude adams in octopussy but um but not to the degree that they do here so we're supposed to be we're supposed to be in africa but we're still in france Ah, right. right. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about what was <laughs> where we supposed thing, to be. The only th- this is a real place. The only thing they did was add the well that was done in product. That was something they dressed the set with. But everything else is just the real location. Mm. Right. And this is supposed to be North Africa, I guess. Um, and this scene, actually, this scene gets a little creepy. And uh, here in a minute. Yeah. yeah no. this, is, this is not a. This is not something that. Uh, I think is particularly good. These uh, vultures. 
Oh, just the just the selling of the. Sorry, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, oh. the, mm. um, yeah, I think I think that you, you're getting um, a whole kind of like load of different kind of problematic aspects coming up coming up in that uh, in that scene. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think there's two levels. I think on the one hand, there's this, I mean, this is a woman that he apparently loved and that he's going to go and sell her off. Um, I think that it shows the disposability of women in this franchise. I think there there are a lot of examples of kept women in the past who have been killed off um, and, and sort of discarded when they lose their their value. And I think that that's something that's being presented here. And I also think that when we think about who is purchasing her, I think yeah. that there's another level, you know, when the the plot is called or the place is called the Tears of Allah. Um, when you look at the fact that she right now she's wearing a hijab um, and before it gets ripped off. When you look at um, the, the 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 men who come up and it's supposed to be a, a reflection of maybe Middle Eastern or Arab men, it isn't a positive portrayal in, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, and so I think you've got these two dynamics happening for just a really troublesome. Uh, scene. Yeah, mm. I, I, I agree with that assessment a hundred percent. That's um, that's my take on away from it as well. Um, it's it's both sexist and racist, and you know, not mm-hmm. great. And we have got some some uh, animal cruelty coming up as well, so it, it checks a lot of uh, really it's unpleasant got the, the boxes. Trifecta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laser Here's watch though. Undocumented laser watch. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I forgot to mention dis- when. Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, I forgot to mention when before Barbara Carrera exited that she was nominated for a Golden Globe for this one. Hmm. She's the only Bond, act, quote unquote, Bond girl actress to be nominated for a Golden Globe. Hmm. Huh. Um, Do you know no, who no she actress. lost to? Cher. Ah. Oh. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Cher. They, they, uh, God, I don't know what film I'm watching anymore. I know it's really weird, isn't it? I'd, yeah, forgotten all about this. It just uh, starts to take a turn. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a question of is this necessary, right? Like there could just be a way of having her also be tied up to be eaten by vultures and be like right. the two of you. Mm. You love each other. You're going to die together. Boom. Then you just get to avoid all of this this nonsense. But yeah, they 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 went there. Was Alexis Sale not? available for that <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking like i don't know with the new borat films coming out soon and this guy's giving me vibes of the uh the guy that oh, follows sasha yeah. baron cohen around in that film the like yeah, the chubby yeah. guy what's his name yeah i have never <laughs> seen that film and uh, yeah there's there's another there's a the, the british comedian who always seems to take those that particular That's role right. of the you know the arab psychic mm. um mm. You know, it's 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 not great. <laughs> mm. um, I'm seeing if I can find out who that is. But I think it's, 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 this is a this is a broader conversation about the consistent poor treatment of Arabs in like Western media, um, and, and mm. it happens in a lot of television shows. You know, yeah. so. But they did make the Mujahideen the good guys a few years later mm-hmm. in the official series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, coming up for a coming up for a horsey stuff. 
But all of this, like even just the scenery and the setting, again, I really got a for your eyes only vibe. You know what I mean? Like sort of mm. like a castle and a structure and there's emphasis on heights and, you know, a potential person falling to their death. A you know, a lot of this just reminds me of the last Bond film, the one that was previous to this one. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes to cinematography because this is a real place and they could have had wide shots and, yeah. you know, like really, whereas Fiora's only was shot on the soundstage. So that's why you never saw the sky at the end of that film. Um, but it's it shot like it's on the studio. It's, yeah. They don't really take advantage of the location very much. Before we get into the horse stuff, can we just say I don't like horses? So <laughs> I, think, I think they're overrated. Kid, I I used to love horses, and uh, and I always thought I, I'd, I'd try horse riding. But uh, now I'm 55, and I still have never been on a horse in my life. I hear the argument that the smart animals, and it's like I think a squirrel is more intelligent. <laughs> Look, I don't like horses and I don't like sharks, and yet this film <laughs> makes me feel sorry for both of these species. I, the vultures get off easy. I like horses a great deal. I like sharks a great deal, but I particularly I, I've never ridden a shark. But I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, in Led Zeppelin, so um, I. I, I think it's I, it really you know because I come from quite a horsey family um, and this this is I I blocked this out of my whole memory until Calvin brought it up yesterday. Yeah, me too. And now that I'm I'm witnessing it, I'm kind of I, I've actually got slight trepidation here. I've got like a I've got a bit of a lump in my throat for this scene. I'm not, mm. I'm not excited about this at all. Mm. Mm. I and can of course. Oh, I was about Bill. to say, I can tell right now, James is not the person to talk about talk to about westerns. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah, in fact, probably one of my the reasons for my love of horses was because I used to love cowboy oh, films when I was about five. Yeah, they did a they did a nasty thing, which is they used to basically tie uh, ropes to their legs, yeah. and then when they ran out of rope, it would make them fall down. Mm. Uh, yeah, that looks. Uh, I mean, the optical effect falling down the side was awful. Yes, then, <laughs> but they cut to like a shot of a real horse falling in the backwards mm. into the water. Couldn't they yeah. have just left the horse up there and just did a, did right. a dive? Yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. was it yeah. necessary to to endanger a horse? Mm. And some uh, uh, people listening, if you are watching this, listening to this along with the film, depending on the version of the film mm -hmm. you have, you may or may not have that shot in there. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not in any British releases yeah. anymore, DVD, <laughs> Blu-ray. Uh, I, I like how they have to cut away to a shot of another horse that probably looked like the other horse swimming away. Yeah, <laughs> just, just so you're aware. Just... <laughs> it's fine. There it is. Clearly exactly the same horse. That's the same horse, everyone. It's fine. <laughs> I guess it should be said that like Vic Armstrong was the stunt man. I don't not sure if he did that shot, um, but he did work on this film, and uh, he said that the horse was fine. And I I mm -hmm. think there is an animal cruelty thing in the credits, but I I'm still like just because it lived. I don't think that that's a yeah. I, 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 I think I think it's I think it's supposed to be the first film that has the um, animal cruelty uh, disclaimer <laughs> at the end. I don't know if this is the case. It looked to me on that shot, it looked to me like it was a model or something for most of the horse falling down. And then like, but then there was this very 
abrupt and uncomfortable thing when the horse actually lands in the water because he lands upside down. Yeah, mm. I know. I, that, that, was, that wasn't good for so, them. Do you, do you want to talk about the shower, Lisa? Because you mentioned it to me yesterday. And she, I hadn't seen I hadn't noticed it before now. She's showering. Her hair is clearly wet with a towel in her hair. <laughs> right? Like, it's not as if she's coming out with the wet hair. Like, you could, if you look at it, it looks like her hair is wet. And so oh, she's all. Don't women do that? I, I wonder if this is one of the reshoots and that's why it, she has Yeah, that's what when ah. I was putting two and two together the same way because, yeah, women don't wear a towel in it, it, the towel will get wet. Like, mm. also, uh, submarine captains seem to have like spacious sour, uh, showers right. like here in the spot. <laughs> Love me. So, again, the budget thing the shots of the submarine. Uh, underwater are from Ice Station Zebra from 1968. <laughs> they, didn't even, they didn't even bother doing those. Jeez. Oh, wow. Another film scored by Michelle Legrand, which of course has nothing to do with that, but still. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're going to spend that on the submarines? I can tell you where you can get that footage from. <laughs> That's right. That, that needs more money for Connery. Um. <laughs> I mean... I think a, a wet wig is always going to look slightly wrong. Yeah, so yeah. They obviously went, oh, let's put the wig on her, and then they went, oh, that doesn't look right. And then they mm. just went, oh, I'll just stick a towel on her head. Only Lisa's going <laughs> to notice that. In- <laughs> <laughs> no woman does that, I'm just saying. No one does the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> one last thing i got about Barbara Carrera, because I just love the fact that she's like, inhibiting uh, ex- it, it living her character what during the production of this movie um ron snyder who's the, a makeup artist and he was married to kim basinger at the time of the filming of this movie in his notes for this film he said he would just see barbara carrera walking completely butt naked in and out of the hotel saunas just like wow. <laughs> <laughs> i like that confidence that's that's the end of my barbara carrera trivia for this <laughs> You know what? If they really did get uh, stock shots from uh, Ice Station Zebra, that was an N- MGM film. Yeah, <laughs> another weird thing because this was not an MGM film when they made it. So I just looked up our records. Connery was paid three million out of the thirty-six up front, and Oof. he got fi- and he got fifteen percent of the gross, <clears throat> which was one hundred eighty million dollars. Was one hundred sixty-three million? So he earned uh, another twenty. Gross. So he made twenty-eight million dollars. Because because the thing is, like with profits, you can disguise profits. The growth you can't disguise. Right. So he made more off this, and Craig made No Time to Die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hmm. So for him, it's the best Bond film. Not inflation adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is his favorite. <laughs> well, well, that, that's why Dean Martin got paid more than Sean Connery got paid. You know, Dean Martin got paid more for the silencers compared with Connery for Thunderball because since Dean Martin was a partner, he got 10% of the gross. So he got 1.2 million, right. whereupon Connery got 500,000 as a salary. Yeah, I was, oh. you know, I was, I was just talking uh, to to um, Melissa about this uh, this morning, um, and you know, the question kind of popped up, which was like, was it, you know, was it common back then to to take kind of points off off the either the gross or the net, or was it more common to be a kind of a for the uh, directors it was. Yeah, for the directors, surely, but not for for the for the the artists. And you know, coming from Golden 
age of Hollywood, most of those those were con- contract players, right? Yeah. Right. So they just they didn't even get to <clears throat> the movies that they were going to be, and they got told right. to do this movie and turn up. So Connery's sort of tail ending that kind of era, you know, yeah. coming into you know the nineteen fifties that he was kind of starting to do things. And really, there weren't many franchises around either. So the idea of kind of points um, for for an actor, um, as opposed to just a salary, was a relatively kind of, I think, a relatively new concept. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, in the fi- starting in the fifties, actors started forming their own production companies, and it was a way for them to like control their own projects. But the financial terms varied from film to film but uh yeah i mean it i'm i'm trying to think some examples so so somebody yeah i i don't want to take it too uh, too far to the side so it kind of began in the 50s but it got more advanced later leave it at that so you know i said i ran out of barbara carrera trivia that was wrong oh there's one more do you know uh-huh. um barbara carrera and Kim Basinger both dated Richard Gere. Huh. Okay. Oh, and also um, Carrie, Carrie Lowell was married. There you go. So. Three, bar, three Bond girls with one dude. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that stupid laugh, but the... Uh... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, you should be. I, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to happen. I guess this is all aping the jetpack from Thunderball. This, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's with, taking uh, your jetpack. You can't see the you can't up. see the strings, can you? <laughs> no, you can't see the strings. But I noticed the actors aren't wearing helmets, which yeah. would probably be advised to operate a device I, like I, this. I think if there was like a ten foot flame under me, I'd wear pants. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it looks like they've got kind of uh, doorknobs on the, uh, as feet or something. Is it like, yeah. do they so just gonna, nip, nip down to the later, to the nearest DIY place or something? We're going to sneak in surreptitiously with our scuba gear, but we're going to arrive to the location on rockets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, rockets that like uh, come out from uh, Polaris missiles, <laughs> because there was a stock shot um, briefly of a Polaris missile being launched right. from a submarine. So the G forces wouldn't kill you. <laughs> no, of course not. So if you're missing the underwater action from Thunderball in this remake, here um, it is. You only had to are. wait for one hour, 56 minutes. Well, well also, also I, I forget the exact technical stuff. I They're going to do, uh, never mind. It's just Turn has something to do with oil. and fill light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it it's yeah. it's blissfully kind of brief, isn't it? Um, the underwater stuff here. Um, I just like how Largo version one has got underwater landing lights, and Largo version two's got a C stand. (laughs) (laughs) For all of my griping about the underwater climax of Thunderball, like this is a significant step down. Like this whole climax is really disappointing. Um, particularly like Largo's actual demise, uh, all that stuff. It's really just. I just don't get the stakes here because I mean yeah. the whole plot of Thunderball is they're going to destroy a major city, and here they are in like. Well, it, I, I think it has mm-hmm. something to do. With it they'll like detonate the bombs, and it'll make it impossible to get oil. But 
It's you have to explain it. It's like um, when you say I'm going to blow up Miami, that's pretty clear what the stakes are. With like mm-hmm. this, like it's like you got to like write it out as a paragraph or something. <laughs> <laughs> this feels this to a, me like Indiana Jones. You know, right. you know, Raiders like, of the Lost yeah, Ark. That, that's exactly <laughs> my thought. Yes, <laughs> we're just we're just missing the Nazis, right? Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing. The same imagery. You know, I I think yeah. That's how I read it. And the fact that they're wearing shorts. I like seeing Bond and his little little legs running along. <laughs> I did yeah, I think there's there's this is the nicest set design, I think, in the movie. Um this sort of feels kind of it's the most kind of it, it's like they've wandered in onto another film though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Never say never again filmed Elstree Studios, Raiders of the Lost Ark filmed at. Yes. Elstree Street Studios. Mm-hmm. Yes. The same yeah. friggin' soundstage. I can feel uh, it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I get I guess they could not get orange wetsuits. Uh yeah. they, mm-hmm. they've been sold off in the Largo uh Largo Thunderball estate. So. Largo. <laughs> but who wears an orange like an orange suit to work undercover? Like that's like literally just like flashing a light saying, Look, I'm here. You know, at least the black goes with being covert. Nineteen eighty three, you could nineteen eighty three, you could get a live video transmission out of a cave. Live <laughs> taking selfies uh, for Blofeld's sake. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have you know that my my wetsuit is black. Mm. Most black, most wetsuits are black. That's the, the whole the, thing. The, it's, it, a lot of them will, will have blue and orange flashes on them, but they're um, dark colored. My, they're my, not, mine's they're, black on black. Here but we are, back for that first day of shooting. Yeah. You know, like... Irvin Kirshner hired a, another director to do this sequence for him, a set, like an assistant director, because he didn't know how to do it. What, he didn't what? feel like doing it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He hired somebody else to do this whole chunk. He's going through that wall, Marion. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we managed to get you two lights. Oh, cool. All right. Hmm. I would. I'd love to see a kind of a supercut of that, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and this together. It, uh, <laughs> you can definitely kind of ma- marry it up. Is it supposed to be like Fountain of Youth kind of stuff here? And I think so. I mean, it's weird that it's tears too- of the Egyptian, and in right. it, it's like, are we going? What are we going for here exactly? It's a very pretty set, though. Um, well, what are we going for? The uh, the the non um, non Western, completely confused f- uh, mm-hmm. sphere of architecture. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit when you read um, "Live and Let Die" of um, when in the book when he emerges from the from the water, you know, in, in, in the island just of Jamaica. Um, it's got that kind of that. That's what I picture that set, that that place being like, like this set. Oh dear, really Felix Light are kicking some ass. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say because Bond let his gun get shot out of his hand, so it's like Felix better step up. And there's a lot of automatic weapons being utilized. I noticed that. I mean, I know typically when I think about like, like, I don't know my guns very well, but like machine guns and stuff like that, I think more of the Brosnan era 
of, yeah. of Bond films. And I just, that's something that stood out to me was, you know, even in the, op- the, the pre-credit, well, the, during the credit sequence here, um, you know, when he was on his training mission, he was using a machine gun. So like the weaponry is, is definitely a step up. That was, that was kind of my pun earlier. They were Ingram Mac 11s and I, and his name's Bernie. So I said, Bernie Mac. But that's oh, God. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an obscure gun joke. <laughs> but, yeah. No, you're right. And, and that was the big criticism that was leveled at um, Tomorrow Never Dies was like Bond with a machine gun. But like it, it had its had precedent already. Mm-hmm. I like how the bomb's from the Department of Energy. <laughs> and it's a good joke for the production design. The Department of Very Fucking High Energy. <laughs> <laughs> It just reminds me of Tomb Raider, the original video game. Yeah, it's, it's so like that, James. It is so even. It even feels like it's polygoned, doesn't it? <laughs> is he wearing boots? Because he's wearing like the shoots. He's got like the gun, but it's to like the, the the his calf, not his thigh. He's wearing the shorts. That's very Lara Croft, or maybe Lara Croft is 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 you know going off of him. But I, I think they riffed this. Yeah, for sure, and. Um, I think this would have been a really good level in um, the GoldenEye um, game, you know. Well, there is the Egyptian level. Uh... I, know, I, I was just sort of feeling like, wouldn't it be a nice adjunct as well, Calvin, you know, to have like mm. a Never Say Never Again level? Mm. The tears, oh yeah, you're not. No, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm fine without it. <laughs> I think this game, this movie actually lends itself to a game adaptation pretty well. Well, yeah. well maybe Atari were uh, technical advisors <laughs> for the <laughs> sequence. In fact, given how M- Michelle Legrand is doing, it's like you should have video game music. This does seem a bit drawn out. Like, I'm sort of like, what's the next step? Yeah. I think that's what the film editor was thinking. On <laughs> was trapped, but he's not trapped. And they've already left, but they're still fighting. Yeah. <laughs> they just really wanted to make, make the most of that set. You know, whereas like Ken Adam will go, we're going to have this massive set in Moonrise. Right, for one. two shots. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they're like, well, we built it now. We've got we to film it for 10 minutes. We haven't used the flashbangs so- yet. Let's, lose, let's use them at the end. Okay, so Connery's out now. <laughs> What's going on here? Oh, oh, not, oh. He I'm not sure exactly. By a, by a helicopter. Drop the bomb down the well. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I got, that one did not look smooth. No. <laughs> <laughs> and he did that with a tank on his back? Like that? Yeah. Well, supposedly, but yeah. yeah. Mm. But the, cause the, the, thing, it, the thing is that um, it'd be okay with the tank is that it would rip his mask off and rip the, his mouthpiece right. out. Can I just point out that that's a well with a drinking bucket thing, but this would be salt water. So mm. Delicious salt water. <laughs> so I have to say, when I watched this yesterday, I had no idea that this was Largo. Like yeah. pushing it, like I, I was like, I'm like, okay, so Bond's just fighting with some dude, like until well, the very end. I was like, yeah, I didn't get it. 
It's very dark. It's not the easiest thing to tell. I think we're supposed to remember because Largo has the yellow swimsuit, but some of yeah. his henchmen right. earlier on had kind of like cream swimsuits, mm-hmm. so it's it, it's it, difficult it to keep track of. It should have those two flags. He's merch logo, uh-huh. and we would yeah. have. <laughs> and I can hear I can hear uh, Legrand's music in the background. Dun 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 dun. I'm like, Michelle, stop it. The uh, <laughs> Moonraker novel, which was have everyone with big numbers on their. Uh, hmm. No, wasn't that the Thunderball novel? No, I Numbers? think it was Moonraker because they were basically like they all had like shaved heads and beards, but they were identified by their. I, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah. I was thinking of the Thunderball yeah, novel, yeah, where like in the summer they, yeah, they 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 paint uh, they paint numbers on the backs of uh, of all the uh, U.S. Navy divers, right. yeah. Oh, because right. because yeah. because they're doing it at night, which makes sense if you're like. Uh, set off a big bomb, whereupon in Thunderball in the movie, they do it in the middle of the day so the audience can see all the divers from from an aerial yeah, shot. And they <laughs> equip them with broom handles with uh, stiletto knives attached to the top. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a very underwhelming uh, finale, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, at least, I mean, at least the sped up kind of on the on the bridge of the disco in Thunderball is kind of like you can at least see who people are. Well, and, well, there's, and te- there's tension as well, right? And with Thunderball, you had uh, John Barry doing the music, <laughs> which helped. Mm. Ooh, yeah, and from nowhere. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Why is it her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I I get the 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 continuity, like the comparison to to the other one, but at least the other one there was like a reason for this to happen. It just seems she's out of place here. I like I like the mystery thinking that it's that Bond's going to get shot. Like I like that component, but this this doesn't actually well, I, make sense. It's, it's kind of like you, when she was on the when she was being held captive on the on the Disco Volante. It made sense that she was in in that yeah environment, right? Was she mm. suddenly just popped up here? Mm. Anyway, with a couple of men in tow as well. Like she's yeah. in on the mission. It's not like she's just gone out herself. But yeah, and it's all over so quickly, so we don't actually get any kind of emotion from that moment, yeah. really. <laughs> so this is Kim Bessinger's personal swimsuit that she took off the Playboy set. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, fast forward like four years <laughs> in his wheelchair, and she's like looking after him. And... Right. <laughs> so Bond is now in retirement, evidently, and uh, making out with uh, Domino in the pool. But we have to have Nigel Small Fawcett make one last return. Yeah, there's so much chlorine in that pool. When when Bond went in, his shorts were blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering what Connery's done, Bond's done in this film, they needed to like you know, antibacterial. <laughs> <laughs> and there he goes in the pool. Oh no! Sorry, Mister Bond. Oh. 
one scene too many for Nigel Small Fawcett, but in my opinion, they just needed to decompress a bit before they had this. You know, you yeah. you, need, you needed to have one extra scene of kind of like, you know, him. Oh, what a wink! Kind of being dealt mm. with. It's just this is just a quick, too quick a wrap up, really. Mm. Yeah, um, agreed. And then back so, to the what, music. What do we think about the wink? Well, it's the only other. It's the only other breaking of the fourth wall, isn't it? You know, maybe, maybe that's where Eon uh, got the inspiration from uh, the end of License to Kill. Not that they would ever admit hey, to that. Girl hostage, Wendy Ma- Lynch. Michael Moore was Michael Moore was the <laughs> director. Wow, his career took a pivot, didn't it? <laughs> really, Rick Rick Al Browning. I like. Okay, another. Uh, David Tomlin, another Eon, uh, oh, consultant to producer, my wife. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Casting <Yeah>. Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Three people drew a salary from this film while uh, Connery did all the hard work. <laughs> it's kind of um, it's kind of an exercise in pettiness. This movie. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's the perfect summation. Yeah, it's sort of like somebody who is like, "You stole this from me," and then somebody who's disgruntled, going, "Yeah, I didn't get enough money the first time round." And it's I'll show you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, to be honest, I'm surprised that all the female characters went dubbed by Silver by um. We just saw Norman Wanstall's credit, like another uh, disaffected uh, Eon alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, trumpet solo by yeah, Herb trumpet, but, but what about the sax? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. Well, they did, you know. Hairdresser, hairdresser to Mr. Connery. Well, there's another person that was on the payroll. Maybe he curled his chest hair or something. I don't know. <laughs> 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 the hairdresser to Mr. Connery had to do like the curling on the chest hair. Had to pay Corella. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep him in check. There she there's Wendy Leach's credit. Well that was a rapper. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least we don't at least we don't see James Bond will return. Like James Bond will not return. Not this James Bond. <laughs> Title never say never again. The ti- so Connery's wife got a credit for coming up with a title. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, AK. I guess that's uh, the guy with the yacht. Yeah, Khashoggi. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Lanny Hall, the singer, was she, uh, was she uh, Herb Albert's wife, maybe? Possibly. Universal gym equipment. Oh. There's, the, there's, a, there's a few hotels in the credits for the locations, aren't there? <laughs> mm. yes. uh, this, this is the height of why people uh, join us for these watch Well, because I think a lot of the de- there's a lot of stuff buried in the credits of this film that hardly everybody's watched. Well, well, that's, well, just, some, just weird. They're just flat out weird. Well, somebody <laughs> else, like they listed like two or three art directors. One was Michael White. It might be the guy who was like working on the assistant. Uh, art director from Russia with love the guy who was in the helicopter with with Terrence Young when it crashed and like almost drowned. 
Um, and a bunch of banks financed it. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes. Filmed on location at Loughborough University. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. It was filmed in Spain, partly, which, which hmm. was Spain shots. Maybe, all maybe the, the castle. Stuff. It's what? No, all the Africa stuff. All the Africa stuff uh, was Spain. Do you know where it was? Well, uh, yes, it's a real. Well, uh, like, mm. Also, um, the producer's wife was Talia Shire, hence Talia Films. And she, of course, was the uh, is the sister of uh, Francis Ford Coppola, which makes the producer <gasps> his brother-in-law. Oh, that's where I heard it before. Yeah, because she's in The Godfather, isn't she? She's in The Godfather. She's in Rocky. Yeah. Um, oh, of Rocky. course, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. I, I, I put it. I put it in the chat, David, because I can't pronounce where that is. Okay. Is it is it um, close to Granada? Because I mean, you know, the southern southern Spain's obviously got like a lot of that Moorish influence um, yeah. from, from North Africa. It, it is um, zooming out Google Maps. Um, oh no, no, no! Sorry, that the the fort at the end was in it was just down the street from Nice. Okay. No. Uh, okay. Yeah, between Nice and is, is France, right? France. I know, I know, I know. I got those two locations. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Googling it as well, so I'll try and find it out. Oh, the preparation that we do for this. Uh, for this. All right, can we, can we run through some Twitter questions? Because we have some really good ones. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, please. Uh, yes, um, please. October, October Pod asks, where does Bernie Casey rank in our view of the pantheon of Felixes? Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- th- this is the problem with him as a as a Felix is that you know he's perfectly serviceable and adequate and you know um, not necessarily super memorable or you know other than obviously the fact that you know his ethnicity comes into play but um, uh, you know does he does he really Hugely jump out. Yeah, that's what I think, Ben. Um, I like him, and I think it was a brave decision uh, on their part to to cast a, a you know person of color. But I don't necessarily think that he's the kind of like he, he's oh kind God. of forgettable for me. Yeah, um, didn't jump I would out. say I would say this. I think he would make more of an impact with American audiences because they would be the most familiar familiar with his work mm. yeah uh, he, he was in a lot of things over a long career um real quick as an aside when he passed away a couple of years ago jeffrey wright on social media did a salute to him oh, and yes, then, he did. yes yeah, and then and then a uh, few months later when david hedison passed away jeffrey wright did a salute to him so like you mm-hmm. know just pointing that out mm-hmm. jeffrey wright like saluting his uh predecessors as felix Nice. I definitely would put him probably middle of the pack. Like I would definitely put Jeffrey Wright and David Hedison as being like above just Mm. because I feel as though they have more fleshed out characters. They have a really good sense of like uh, brotherhood or, or friendship with bond that's really expanded. And so you can connect with them. I find so many of the other Felixes to really be just um, uh, forgettable but I did feel as though there was like a little bit of a sense of fun between the two of them. And especially when it was the take off your clothes trouser, like when they were running away in their underwear, like something like that. I just mm-hmm. felt like a sense of like connection and brotherhood. I think they could have expanded on it a little bit more in this film. They didn't do that, but 
you know, I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was a solid Felix who had a lot more to do and a lot more to say than some of the other films. Mm. I like him more than, say, uh, you know, Jack Lord, um, who I just think, you know, isn't necessarily that likable as mm-hmm. Felix. Mm. Uh, he might stand out more, but I don't think he's particularly likable. Um, and Rick Van Nutter, although I think is great in the role in um, in Thunderball, he's he's kind of just a bit there, really, isn't he? You know, so I suppose, I suppose, yeah. I mean, um, I, I saying that he's he's a likable person is, is not is not um, a negative thing at all. Mm. Actually, I, I, I've always, I, I always like Jack Lord because uh, he just looks so cool in in Doctor No. That that's the thing for me, and I, I just I can't, I can't. I could never kind of get away from the. I mean, he's more Bond than sort of Bond is really, you know. Mm. In in that, and I I kind of I, I wanted him to be less kind of arrogant and. Mm. But the, know, um, with the I think I think we've discussed this before, but. Um, one of the things we have never seen in a Bond film is the kind of um, relationship that uh, Bond and Lighter have in the books, where they go out, they, they go out on these massive well benders. Basically, they get absolutely hammered, and you know <laughs> it, it's the it's the only sense in the books where you get a feel that Bond does have some kind of friend. You know. The, 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 you know I, I would take it one step further. I don't think they've ever totally gotten Felix right. I don't think they've no. ever totally gotten Blofeld right. But with a novel, you have more space to tell a story oh, sure. as opposed to a film. And uh, I would have taken yeah. 30, 30 minutes off this film, right, of just like... Mm-hmm. like expand- ha- tracking shots. Tracking shots and expansive kind of how do we get to this location shots, right? And just had Bond and Felix just getting drunk. I would have yes. watched thirty minutes of that. That would have been. I get to see a little bit. Uh, no time to die. Andy White asks: Is the villain Sublime Turn the best acting by a villain in the entire series? Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> right. mm, no. no. I, I think he's very good. I think his performance is good. I just don't think he's mis- I think he's miscast. Yeah, it doesn't seem villainous enough at all. No, he, he, he well, just—he just seems weird, actually. He, he I, sure, yeah, he sh- I, I, I think in modern context, you know, when Lisa was talking earlier about like just being kind of like this, this abuser, I think that that's, um, you know, he—he—he's not the kind of the the, the moustache twiddling kind of villain that you know we, we've maybe come to expect. But in in some senses, it's a more realistic villain, um, and I think it's a more it, it's a subtle performance and it's a nuanced performance. Um, and watching it today, I, I, you know, there were little gestures and little things that he did mm-hmm. that I thought really, you know, really enhanced the character. You know, when he's when his bond is tied up and um, you know they're they're discussing the plans and um, it's just this little kind of little. Things that he does, you know, he pushes his fingers to his lips. You go, oh, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, I thought, you know, I think he does. I think he has a great performance. I don't think he's. I don't think he's particularly villainous, but I think he has. There's villainy in there, you know. 
Um, I think he shows flashes of being mentally disturbed. At one point, he tells uh, Domino, I'll cut your throat. Um, and he makes a little hand gesture as if he, as if he were cutting his throat. Um, you know what? Probably Connery met him or saw him in a play or something and said, that's my guy. Um, given how Connery like cast the major roles. So. Yeah, he was, he was doing stage work at the time and didn't want to do it. And then Connery phoned him up and said, we're going to hang out in the South of France. Do you want to do it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, can I can I throw something yeah, in there? Yeah, sorry, no, no, yeah. I, I didn't know if everyone else was going to go. Um, here's the thing: like, is he the best villain in a Bond film? No, um, I, I think that's a very bold claim, and I think that we can all come up with possibly other people that we think um, play more compelling villains. But I actually thought he was really good, and I thought that his acting was a was a highlight of the film. Um, and I like the fact that he wasn't as as Ben said, like a typical, traditional, stereotypical villain. I like the fact that he was youthful. I like the fact that he was emotionally connected and of course reacted negatively, uh, you know, to, to the loss of love that he did have that human side to him. Whereas I'm not necessarily sure Bond was given the same sort of humanity that the villain was given. Oh. Um, and I thought that it was an interesting take on, on sort of the Largo figure when we've had a much older man who's presented distinctly as a pirate, right? And we've talked about the eye patch and things like that. Instead, having somebody younger and hands-on who was, you know, definitely invested in every single facet. I thought that like the Spectre organization in this film was a little bit like not that great. But I thought he himself, uh, I thought he just played it well. And I think that he's memorable. Like I remember him as well as Fatima B Blush. Those are the two characters that I take away. And that's sort of like a Zoran Mayday thing that I take away from you only, uh, not you only, uh, yeah. a view to a kill. That's it. Uh, you know, like yeah, I, I, I feel the connection there where I, I get the villains and I'm more connected because I think they're both incredibly charismatic and over the top. And I don't know, there's something about it that, that I connected with. Good, that's a great point, Lisa. I was going to say, if, if, if Walken, well, if, if the character of Zorin is kind of aping this, and, and then we talked about maybe they created Mayday as a mm -hmm. reaction to Fatima Blush. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. the two, two main yeah, 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 characters yeah. I, of that movie. I, I, I see that from completely, him. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I 100% agree with that. I never, I genuinely, until that, until that moment, I never really put those, mm. that together, but that does, that does scan. I definitely scanned. Um, no and no again. 007 asks: Are fans overly hard in this film just because it's not official? Yes, mm -hmm. I would say that. Some. Um, uh, because, uh, <laughs> um, well, on on Facebook, just uh, in the last month, six weeks, uh, it was one of the James Bond uh, groups, and somebody was like trashing this film, was like, "Oh, this was Connery getting revenge," which I acknowledge that's a possibility, but. They were like, but there was like such anger. It's like, guys, this was like, this movie's like almost 40 years ago. Like, let it go. But no, there, there are some fans like, they don't just dislike it. They despise it. But on the other hand, there are other uh, fans, and they tend to be older, who love this film. And I think they love it primarily because of Connery. And I get it because I think Connery, as an actor, is, is on his a game here but as i commented earlier as a de facto producer in my mind not so much and especially with recruiting michelle legrand as the composer um that was a connery thing so yeah. well 
Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, yes, I would say that many Bond fans are hard on it uh, because it's non, it's not Eon, it's non-official. Uh, but uh, I would also say that they are actually right uh, because it's it's a terrible film. Uh, so uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're right for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> if you're hating it just because it's not Eon, then that, that's not the right reason mm-hmm. to dislike it. No, I don't. I, I don't know if I've ever experienced anyone disliking it because it's not a film. It is a bad film, so I don't. I mean, I'm sure people enjoy it, but. What was that, Ben? Is it a bad film? Yes. I mean, Scientifically yeah, proven. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and uh, I'll I'll go out on a limb here because you know I I am Thunderball. I am Mister Thunderball. And <laughs> but there is too much. There there is such thing as too much Thunderball. It turns out. And mm. uh, never say never again proves it. Well, actually, there's there's two of us who are Mister Thunderball. Just. Mm. Uh, I would say that my experience in the last 24 hours has actually been very different. And so when I said that I had never seen it, there's a lot of films that I have not seen. I hadn't seen The Princess Brides till like a few months ago. I know. And there's somebody else on this podcast who's never seen Star Wars. So like, you know, know, it it does happen, you know, that we don't see, you know, these films. And if it's not part of your orbit, that's, that's, that's cool. Um, But I had a lot of people sort of like wondering, like, how can you write about James Bond and write books and stuff like that? And you've never seen this film. I mean, I haven't seen the other two Casino Royales as as well. And I'm open and eager to do it. But there was, um, and most people were super nice about it. But every now and then there's sort of like a little bit of like that purism that comes in. That, you know, a true Bond fan is somebody who watches all of it. Like not just, you know, the Eon productions, but everything else. According to a couple of people, uh, a true Bond fan has to be fortunate enough to be born in the late 50s so they were old enough to see them in the cinema because otherwise you're not a true Bond fan well, and your opinion uh, is invalid okay, uh, all you true Bond fans who have never read any of the books uh... right there you go <laughs> I'd say that is more of a gauging factor than mm-hmm. uh, well just just to make a point there are some of us who were born in the late 50s who are not like that being assholes like that no, so. you know who I'm talking about though right I, I know who you're talking about uh, so, I've experienced um, this. So, Mark Edlitz, friend of the sh- orbit, um, wrote that great book about all the James Bonds. He asked, um, "Are there any ways in which the film improves upon Thunderball?" And David, please don't. <laughs> well, actually, I I answered Mark. I saw his tweet. I said, "Well, Douglas Slocum is like at least on par with Ted Moore, if not better, but at least over the course of his career." So it's but like not for this film. Not necessarily, no. But yeah. uh, just, it, just it, it's a really good question. I, I, um, I, I don't have any positives, but uh, if if somebody does, I, I would be interested. Well, I, I will say this: there are some people who love that uh, tango sequence. Mm-hmm. I don't, but there are people who go on and on about how wonderful it is. But what? So why? among some, I don't, I don't understand well, that. Well, I'm, I'm not one of them, so I'm not, I'm not speaking on their behalf. But no, I just no, know, I know they exist. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was rhetorical, but I understood. Understood. I'm just, you know, and and then some of my I've mentioned these before the my James Bond friends who are like not Roger Moore fans. They talk they? about they, they, they talk about this film is like better than many Eon films. 
I don't really engage to get the details, but they feel that way. So I'm just, I'm just going to note it. Okay. I've been struggling, but I think Q's dialogue, it, Q's lines are better in the in Never Say Never Again than the Thunderbolt. That's the only thing I can come up the with. The dialogue versus yep. the delivery, right? Well, yeah. actually, and, yeah. and it's the yeah. actual script, okay. the script yeah, yeah. for Q. And the okay. specific, yeah, let's, let's get it down even narrower. The script, <laughs> the script for Q is better than this. And the specific line about hopefully we'll see some gratuitous sex and violence, that smells to me like a Lorenzo Semple Jr. line. That just, right. that, I mean, I've seen enough oh, of his the, work. The, uh, the, the musical director thought they said sex and violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so so whoever's listening to this at some point in the future, uh, yeah, get on uh, Twitter or whatever and let us know what's better about this than Thunderbolt. You know, I actually have something. You know, one of the the greatest complaints that I hear about Thunderball is its pace. They find that you know midway through everything just sort of slows down, and and if you're used to more higher paced films, um, it, it does feel like the underwater sequence. Some to some people feels like it goes on forever. And I did find when, that when I watched this, even yesterday, like it's two hours, 14 minutes, it actually went by pretty quickly because there's a lot of stuff to look at now. That doesn't mean that the plot is tight. You know what I mean? That everything makes sense, that I, I know exactly what's going on. Clearly, this podcast has shown that I, I didn't. Um, but I felt that this movie moved along at a pretty steady pace where I wasn't sitting here looking at my watch being like, oh my gosh, is right. it? Maybe at the very end, just because of the drawn out nature, I don't think they knew where they were going in the in, in sort of the climax moving from, you know, the, the, the Indiana Jones part, uh, to the dropping him down the, the, the seawater well or whatever was going on there. Uh, that doesn't even make sense to me, but for the most part, I felt like this film really did plug along at a pretty good pace. And so there was a lot to look at and I could keep my interest, uh, engaged. So maybe that's an aspect. Well, well, real quick, this was a very much an unhappy production because the producer was Jack Schwartzman, who, as I said earlier, was like married to Tally Shire. His background was being an entertainment attorney, but he was not an experienced uh, producer. And uh, apparently, like his relationship with Connery went south very quickly, and they weren't speaking to each other. And I've also said earlier today that. You know, like Connery as de facto producer made some dicey decisions. I think his acting is just fine, more than fine. But it's like being making a James Bond movie is a lot harder than it looks. And so this film strikes me as people people who think they know better don't necessarily know better. And but you know, but nobody knows better. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Matthew Creasel asks, is it possible to do an effective Bond score without using the iconic theme? Yes, I, I, I do think... Is that it, why this score fails? Yeah, no, I, that, that isn't why the score fails. Uh, the score fails because it's just bloody awful. Uh, mm. it, it, it's, it's nothing that you would expect from, from Bond. And you, yeah, I, 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 do think you, I do think they could have done it. They... they absolutely could have done it without John Barry without uh going down that 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 um whole sound and uh you know get come up with something that was um bond enough that 
it it would feel enough like a Bond film more than you know, I, I I I can't even describe the score for this. You know what? If, if they could have gotten a Jerry Goldsmith who was active at this time, if they could got Lalo Schifrin who was active at this time, if they could have gotten any number of a half dozen others, it would have been just fine. It wouldn't have had the Bond theme from the Eon series. It wouldn't have had the Gun Barrel. Fine, but it's like it would have been just great. Again, you know, it was Connery's idea to bring Michelle Legrand in, and it's like, no, Sean, you're an actor. You don't know about co- you know composers. And that's my story. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah, and if you think about uh, films like The Spy Who Loved Me, I, I mean, I think the, the score to that's pretty appalling. It it um, it doesn't sound Bond-like to me most of the time at all, and also um, for your eyes only. So, um, I, uh, yeah. So, but I, I guess although the, although the ladder that you mentioned has come had somewhat of a renaissance. Well, not with me. <laughs> you know what i mean i mean this is slightly off topic but like non non barry composers who i think are underrated i would put george martin in that space i you know Number it's like one. his score for live and let die yeah. has like grown on me and in, in for quite a while now mm. and it's like you know it's like it's not exactly barry pat patish but it's like it evokes enough of barry that like i think it's good and plus the way he was able to uh, work in the uh, Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney uh, theme song into it. Linda McCartney. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. In, in, in fact, um, th- th- there's, there's a point that Mark O'Connell makes uh, when he's been on the podcast and uh, when uh, specifically when we were talking about, about um, Billie Eilish's uh, theme song for No Time to Die. And then that is, that is that, you know, sometimes songs, they don't sound Bond uh, when they're first released, or, uh, but they you grow into them and they become Bond. It, it, it is well, pretty much yeah, Bond, Bond. Bond imprints on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that's right. And, and, and in fact, I, he he is right on, on that. that uh, you know, sometimes a change of direction is needed, and somebody comes up with something that uh, at the time it, it's not ob- obviously Bond, but um, it, it becomes Bond, or, or there's enough of the, the DNA in there that it's. it's it, it, I think, and you mentioned Paul McCartney, Living at Die, and also Chris Cornell, Casino Royale, two examples where the public reaction was like, what the hell? And then now they're classics. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Matt Weston asks, what do we think about the film's dialogue? Um, in his opinion, there's some really good one liners in this film. Some some good one-liners, uh, again, altered on, hopefully we'll see some gratuitous sex and violence. That's memorable. Um, my martini, well, yes. Oh, I'm sorry I got you wet. Yes, but my martini is still dry. That's a good one-liner. Um, other spots, not as much, but like, you know what? Actually, dialogue is probably not, there are issues with this film. Like, I wouldn't put the, like, dialogue at the top. Hmm. <laughs> Lisa, we talked about it yesterday on chat. Um, how do you feel about the writing of the female characters in this film, given that three dudes wrote the script? I mean, when it comes to fat number, fat, fat number, 
whatever her name is now. It's gone. <laughs> Fatima, Fatima Blush. <laughs> there we go. I'm just like, I just drew a blank and I got like fat lump. And I'm like, no, that's not her name. <laughs> they wouldn't do that to her. Um, but I found that like some of her dialogue and of course, uh, some of her motivations are a little bit questionable and then you sort of throw the costuming. So it's really difficult to sort of take away all of like the artifice and try to get down to the core with her um, just because of the performance and, and the way that it's stylized. I think she's incredibly memorable because she's different from, you know, so many people that we've seen. And she, to me, strikes me just as being sort of this outlier character that Mayday sort of functions. And, you know, Mayday's an enigma and I don't f still fully understand Mayday. Um, and I like the fact that she's different. And so I will probably sort of lean that way with her. When it comes to Kim Basinger's character, she's there. Um, you know, she... <sighs> I don't know. I think she's one of the more vanilla Bond girls. Yeah, like I don't really have much to say about her, you know, because I don't really think that she does too much or, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, like if you were to say Kim Basinger versus Claudine OJ, like who would I lean towards? That's, I yeah. even find that to be a very tough one because I, I at least found that like in Thunderball, there was the whole idea of getting revenge and avenging, you know, this abuser uh, that was really sort of foregrounded. Um, and you saw the abuse and, and, and the resulting um, uh, sort of event, like vengeance happened right, right there, like quite quickly versus in this film, I don't know where she came from with a harpoon gun. And I just felt like there was so much mimicking going on uh, of of sort of the original film that it's very difficult for me to piece together a strong character arc for her yeah um yeah so i'm sort of, i'm sort of at a loss with her character i don't really know what to do with her and i think as you said describing her sort of as vanilla um i think that's where i am with, with which is her. unfair on vanilla which is a very rare and difficult to grow <laughs> plant um but I think if you were on like a TV quiz show and you threw up like 20 names of actresses on the wall and you had the contestants to pick out the Bond girls, Kim Basinger would be safe on that wall. I don't think the majority of the public would be like, oh, yeah, she was in Never Say Never Again. It's like, and I don't think that's just because this film is, quote, not official or it's not canon. I think it's just because she's totally forgettable in the film as well. <laughs> Especially when she's paired again, this is sort of like the Stacey Sutton Mayday thing. Like, I think I don't think Stacey Sutton's a great character because I think Mayday is just so yeah, strong right. and yeah, out there. Absolutely, and, yeah. and so if we didn't have this other antagonistic woman, would right. we feel the same way about her character? I don't I don't know. Plus this plus before before um Domino's in really in the film, there's three other women that Bond interacts with. Yeah. It's not Fatima. So it kind of gets lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, just, just talking about Fatima Blush, the, just the one thing I wanted to say was mm -hmm. that um, she, the, the, the name Fatima Blush, I, I, I think came from the original uh, screenplay that was written. Uh, yeah. Yeah, from um, before the, the well, one, one that, of them. that one of um, Fleming yeah. based his his novel on, and he he he, he got rid of the character, I, I think, and uh, and uh, so you know, and she didn't appear in in the film Thunderbolt. So this was McClory bringing her back. The the very first McClory Scarlet Brand's kind of Fleming name, doesn't it? You know, Fatima Blush. It's not that. So in, instead, we ended up with Fiona Volpe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Well, I just wanted to, the only thing that I would comment on that is that um, it feels unusual that Bond would settle down with her. Yeah. You know, that that was, but that's like of all the, of, of all the people that, you know, the women that he's been with, at the end of his adventure, this is, this is who he's retiring. <laughs> Madeline Swans, hold my beer. <laughs> well, it, it's because you know he's getting on, and uh, as, as somebody pointed out um, at some stage that they didn't have Viagra then. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I still, I but I still think he actually, you know, when I think about, even though Connery is a lot older than diamonds are forever i'm so tired like words are gone right now um but i did think that he played a better bond and i think that he actually looked the part better i think that he was more committed to this role there was a lot more light i think that he, he was because he, he was getting 15 percent of the sure, crust. like he's invested in the success of of this film and in, in, in a different way but i do and i've always been advocating like i do like the fact that we do still see him shirtless and we do see an older man and his body and we do still see him you know being considered desirable and and sleeping with women and and still sort of like you know living his full life and i think that yeah. that that's something that's really important that I that I found that was really positive about this particular film. Like I was like, yeah. okay, I, I, I can follow with that. So I just wanted yeah, to throw I mean, that in. Absolutely. I mean, and before Daniel Craig, Sean Connery was the only Bond actor to play Bond in three different decades. Yeah. Uh, how old was he in this film? Fifty. He was fifty-two at the time it was released. Huh. Or no, he was fifty-three at the time of release. He was in fifty-two when it was filmed. Yeah. And before No Time to Die, this was a third, the longest gap a Bond actor had between his roles of 13 years. Mm-hmm. That's right, because uh, Diamonds came out in Christmas of 71, <laughs> and this came out in October of uh, 83. Hmm. 12 years. Uh, Mark A. Saylor writes, and this is more of a comment than a question. Um, okay. The line, there was once this girl in Philadelphia, uh, he says he remembers seeing Never Say Never Again in Philadelphia, and the crowd went nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is this? Oh, um, and Maka points out that um, the rocket packs that Felix and Bond use were given away to primary schools in Scotland as playground equipment. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Good, I, I can just see that. Hopefully, without uh, lifting off. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, the, the, the mental image that that paints is brilliant. Ah. <laughs> Did the person who who sent this who sent this in uh, do, were they one of the uh, primary school kids who played all these rockets? <laughs> what was the effect on their life? I've never heard that story before, but I it sounds like a thing that would be true. Uh, I want it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe. There's a whole generation of kids somewhere in Scotland that didn't know they were playing on James Bond props. Yeah. <laughs> And Connery donated his hairpiece to the local zoo. Yeah. <laughs> so, so wait, any, any, anybody who um, is who is or was from Scotland uh, at the time, and uh, they've got a great dinner party uh, conversation piece now, but there, there aren't any dinner parties. Uh, uh, you'll have to wait. 
<laughs> just imagining someone listening to this in Scotland and just having some kind of flashback to like <gasps> maybe it could be you know, just imagine the, the crash zoom there reaction. Maybe in Edinburgh they can start the uh, Sean Connery hairpiece museum. <laughs> All right, so wrapping up, uh, Lisa, I think you have the most interesting story of this film, given that you experienced it twice in 24 hours <laughs> the first time. Yeah. Um, how does it stack up for you? You know, uh, I was talking with Sean Longmore about this as well, where he, he's a big fan, obviously. Um, and I was talking to him about like the this opportunity that I had. So here we are in 2020. We are a little bit grumpy and we have this anticipated release at some point in time of No Time to Die. And we've been disappointed with all of the delays and you've got the coronavirus happening. And there's just a, it's a, it's a, there's a huge downer that we're going through right now. And at this moment in this opportunity, I actually got to discover something new about James Bond. So in a time when we're at like a deficit, I actually had the opportunity to benefit from uh, something new and something that I hadn't really ventured into before. And maybe some of my excitement for this film might be due to the fact that I'm just excited for something new about Bond <laughs> that I can sink my teeth into. Um, and so I think I, I, I enjoyed it for that reason, as well as I've mentioned, you know, just the the, the connections to things that... I enjoyed in the past from the 80s films of my childhood. This was not one of it, one of them, but it taps into sort of the Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and some of the style and aesthetic of that time. And so I get to look back at it, but I'm also not looking at it it's, as a serious film. You know, I I I see, I I think I, I know I asked at least one of you, like, is this supposed to be a parody? Because I was I was watching it and I'm like, I'm like, are, 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 am I supposed to take this as being straight laced? But when I watched it, I just couldn't. And maybe that was also part of my enjoyed enjoyment that I saw that it was, you know, that I that I took it as being a little bit um more more parodic than it was than it was intended, especially with the actor who plays Mr. Bean in it, where I was just like, I'm supposed to take this seriously, like, because it's not happening. Um, and so I definitely smiled and laughed along with this film. Is it a you know the best Bond film in the world? I don't personally think so. Um, no. Uh, is the music amazing? You know, are all the characters memorable? Clearly not, since I don't even remember plot points and 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 and, and names. But and yet, with all of that happening, I still really enjoyed watching it then. And I had a hoot listening to all of your comments on on this particular podcast. So I, I just I'm leaving this very sort of positive and, and optimistic. And I, that was unexpected. I had no idea how I was yeah. going to react, and and it was better than I expected. So. Honestly, when we discovered you hadn't seen this, and we were like, "Well, you've really got to watch it before we do the watch along, because that's no way to experience the movie for the first time." Yeah, I honestly felt really bad for you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, "Oh my god, you're going to hate it," and then we're going to make you watch it again. Like, <laughs> but what was the reason? Why did you hold this one off? 
You know, I had it on VHS and it was part of, you know, the Bond Bond, uh, group of of films that I had. But when I started to really study Bond, it wasn't one that I watched. So my dad had no idea that I'd never seen it. My dad has seen all of these and the Casino Royales and everything like that. It just wasn't one that was part of our regular repertoire, right? And then when I started studying, most of the scholarship focuses on, on the Eon ones. Like rarely do you find anybody talking about Never Say Never Again. And it's considered to be out of canon. And so if I'm going to invest my time and energy um, in into studying, you know, the, the Bond films and being connected with the scholarship. I just focused in on the films that were connected. Well, and, well, and if well, you go ahead, no, I was just going to ask, what, what does your dad think of it? He thinks it's a good film. He huh? he was very shocked that I had never seen it. He's like, yeah, it's a really interesting film. And I was like, well, you never told mm-hmm. me that as a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you well, know? you know what. In a way, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, two James Bond films in the same year. I mean, yes, in 67, you technically had it again, but that was, you know, 67 Casino Royale was clearly a spoof. Mm -hmm. This was intended as a serious, or at least relatively serious, James Bond film. Mm -hmm. So to have two, quote, regular James Bond films in the same year, not having that again. Same decade. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, 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 you know. that hurts. And, and and a subject to debate about, like, you know, because again, like, you had two films the same year, like the two, you know, the two most uh, productive in terms of number of films, Bond actors the same year. It's like, never going to see that again. Um, so, yeah. So in that sense, it's like, like I say, some people love it. Some people despise it, particularly people who feel like Eon should never ever be questioned on anything to do with bond so like for one time you had an actual you know you had two competing bond films where it's like essentially supposed to be regular bond films like i just said and it's just like so in that in that sense it's like you know not gonna happen again so you know take the i mean there's one particular Grumpy guy. Um, it says, "Oh, both of these films are terrible." Like, yeah, what? But there's two James Bond films, and now we don't get any for five years and, and counting. So, there you go. And counting. And counting. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a, a few podcasts ago. I remember Phil made a comment about, well, you know, there there they release them um, it, with you know increasing. Or decreasing frequency, and uh, we don't know. We, we know that we've only got a few uh, Bond films left until we die now. So you've got to enjoy them all. And it's like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wrote yeah, that post. Right. <laughs> I wrote that post. I, it was like original Bond, first generation uh, Bond films. Count the number they have left. Yeah. I found this photo of a guy counting on his fingers, mm. and I used that as the illustration. It's like, yeah, I'm in that. I'm in that shape. Yeah. I guess I'm I'm one of the fans who despises this. <laughs> this is is my like out of all of them. This is my least favorite. This is the one that I do actually come back to every few years, and I stick it in and think like, well, maybe this is the time to. But I think I just realized a lot, particularly after reading Fleming's Thunderball. Like, I just don't like Thunderball. I don't like the book. I don't like the original film. I don't like this. Like, I just don't think it's a very engaging story, and it lends itself to scenes of just 
waiting around, characters not doing anything. Um, it was Phil that said that Thunderball was a hangout movie, and I think that's very apt and true of everything Thunderball, quite frankly. I think Ben kind of summed up the overall feeling I have for this film really well earlier on, talking about the the um, the spite that kind of <laughs> just it's just in the film. It is kind of, it's just produced by you know two blokes who feel pissed off that they didn't get you know what they earned and whether that's rightful or not. I know Kevin McClory is framed in quite an antagonistic light when it comes to you know in relation to the on films. You know you. you he certainly did probably have you know a right to his ideas that he contributed and they were very unfairly used without his permission uh, for the original book so whatever but still and, and especially with bill talking about the people involved in the crew and the cast and all these people just like oh somebody's wife and brother and whatever all coming in and it does just feel like oh we've got a lot of money let's just have a great time and that laziness permeates into the film and the venom being made, the kind that this whole film is just like a middle finger to other people making far better works around this time. That I just come away from it feeling icky. It's do, just like, do, oh. do, do you know the, what you just said about the laziness? Do you know what? I, I think you're, you're absolutely right on that because it was just... It's not so hard to make a Bond film. It's just a mediocre filmmaking when we can do it the same way. We just go and hang out and have a holiday and it'll, it'll mm. blow Octopussy out of the water. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I feel that too. Yeah. Well, and, and just to piggyback on what you said, Calvin, I think there's room for a uh, interpretation of Bond other than Eons. Mm. But this production doesn't make that case very well. The the problem is there's been three goes at it and none of them have worked. Right. Mm. And so for whatever reason, when it's tried, the execution doesn't work out that well. Mm. And again, I keep going back to Connery. It's like Connery is not just the star, he's the de facto producer. And as a de facto producer, his record is at best mixed. Mm. Ben, you hadn't seen this for a while either, right? No, I, I conservatively 30 years um and i i recognize that's a very long period of time what was surprising to me was how well i remembered it and uh, even even down to kind of bits of dialogue that you know um you would think could just kind of vanish um my 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 kind of feeling about it before today was that I had a, a a good nostalgic feeling about it, that I had enjoyed it as a child, and I recognised that a lot of people didn't like it, um, uh, you know, with with the kind of maybe the benefit of hindsight and some some maturity added to it, um, and so my my concern was going to be that I was going to watch it today and kind of go, oh God, oh yeah, that's right, oh that's terrible. Um, there were certainly those moments, uh, and there were certainly things that I had kind of gotten about the animal cruelty, the you know the the, uh, the you know the, the casual racism and and, and uh, the misogyny within it. However, um, that said, I still feel like it it's you know maybe not the not the best of kind of those eighties kind of action adventures. Uh, yarns, but it, it it fits as Lisa said earlier into that kind of 
um, that group of uh, kind of action adventure movies that was kind of being done in the eighties. It has it has that same DNA, and I still I still kind of have a fondness for it because of that and things that a lot of people don't like. So you know, Fatima Blush being a, a larger than life character or Small Fawcett being too comedic. I actually think you know uh, a part of it. I don't I don't dislike those aspects of it and on the whole i i think it's you know with a caveat that um as i said earlier and calvin kind of touched on which is that it is a um a very petty movie um i i still kind of like it and i think in terms of the bond history um there's the the story of of how this is made um, and and legality would make a more interesting film than the film. Yeah, well, the, the, the the book um, Battle for Bond is, is very very interesting. If you if you really, uh, like yeah. these things, I mean, that, yeah. that book that that book is 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 essential reading. I think it's you know it's it's really fascinating stuff. Um, but you can't. I, I wouldn't uh, say it's completely uh, neutral. Right. No, it's not. I mean, uh, I guess all I'd say is that it, it, it is an interesting story and it does kind of uh, fill in, you know, fill in some blanks. And, well, uh, it, it covers all the material that you're never going to read in an official history. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, and I, Which and I is like- why, you know, like, you know, the, um, the, uh, what was the big coffee table book that came out for the 40th anniversary of the other day? Um, um, James Bond Legacy. James Bond Legacy. You look at that book, and you look at how thin the coverage for Thunderball was in that book. I mean, I think it's six pages, right? The six biggest pages. Oh God, that just—that's not like even the, the, high, the high point of the cultural <laughs> phenomenon of the whole series, and it's got the least number of pages for the <laughs> franchise. <laughs> it t- tells you how much has been censured out of history. Yeah, for this whole thing. Also, I was just thinking, uh, going back to something James mentioned. You know what? If they had managed to get Richard Donner to direct this, yeah, I think it'd be a whole lot different. I think it'd be better remembered. But of course, I may be looking at that through nostalgia. But uh, Richard Donner was—he kind of—he knew his stuff. Well, and but Irving Kirshner didn't. Um, well, uh, based on this, uh, not quite. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, well, I, mean, he, I mean, I'm not saying Irvin Kirshner was not a good director, but like Richard, Don- <laughs> Richard Donner, in terms of like action adventure thing over the course of his career, I think had a better handle on that stuff. Going back to his days in television, yeah, I, I, I can only name one other movie by uh, Irvin Kirshner. So. Uh... A Fine Madness with one of Connery's better toupees. Okay. <laughs> that, that wasn't it. What's, what's really interesting, though, is Richard Donner turned down this movie, but he didn't do anything between 82 and 85. He had no output. Because he, he wanted a real holiday. Well, and plus, I suspect he... It's also possible he sensed this is going to be... This is a troubled production. He could... Yeah, but... Usually when a director turns a movie down, it's because they've got something else on the burner, right? But he literally didn't do anything for three years. Well, and but, then it, but and then it was like, like then it was like the Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon 2. I mean, he, like, then he came back like... Right. 
but like this is going to be a, like a shit show. Do I want to get involved? And like, and he'd been sort of paid off by the Salkins for Superman. It's like, uh, yeah. Uh, in other words, I I can afford to wait. And so we we, we didn't we we didn't get a Rod uh, a Richard Donner Bond film because of Superman, and we didn't get a Guy Hamilton The Spy Love Me because of Superman. That's right. Do you think that there might have been some element of um, not wanting to, you know, upset Eon people at Eon by by taking it? Um, in Donner's work. case, I don't think that would have mattered to him. What I know about him, like I'm, I'm not the expert on his career, but yeah, I mean, but but Donner is like Donner. Donner doesn't take shit. I mean, like when he was getting screwed over on Superman, you know, he reacted. He didn't just take it. So I, I don't think. I mean, I mean, if Eon did come into play. You know, it would be along the lines of this thing could get really mucked up pretty quickly and right. I might have no movie. Um, it would be in that sense as opposed to like being afraid of Eon per se. Well, there was, the legal stuff was going, the legal stuff was going around whilst they were asking him to do it. Right. And also that, you know, they're all, you know, Superman was shot in, um, you know, Pinewood. And yeah. You know, they're all going to be rubbing cor- uh, shoulders in the corridors. I just wonder whether that would just be like a kind of a, um, uh, what do they call it, professional courtesy in some senses? I don't know. Hmm. I just find it odd that, you know, he turned it down and didn't do anything for three years. It's, yeah. just, it's just weird. Um, talk about the money quickly before we wrap up. Um, made less than Octopussy, 160-something million worldwide. Um People say, "Oh, they lo- he lost against you know the Battle of the Bonds," but the other way of looking at it is it outgrossed the following two. Mm. It made more money than Oct- uh, uh, Vito Kill and um, well, yeah. and his personal bank balance uh, got a bit swollen. Mm. Yes, yeah, I think he was probably more concerned about that than you know how it performed against mm. the next movies. Yeah, because it, yeah, it, it, his contract specifically uh, insulated it insulated him against any of that kind of stuff. Mm. One last thing I say about Never Say Never Again: I can always tell like the quality and care that's going to be put into a TV marathon if they're including Never Say Never Again. <laughs> like if it's in there, well, then they don't give two shits. <laughs> well, also, I just want to add real quick a point that you all made. It's like, you know, I hadn't stopped to think about like a number of sets that do look cheap, like the conference room, like somebody said it looked like a universe. It was at least it's I not think. a set. It's a like a university conference. They pulled the projector screen down. I mean, it was like you know, I don't know yeah. what they did to that. And then when you compare that to the corresponding scenes, you know, in Thunderball with the, the giant well, compare it more fairly, compare it to Octopussy, right? Yeah, well, yeah, because uh Peter Lamont's uh uh Soviet conference room. Mm-hmm. Again, I think Lisa and others commented about this, you know, like the that desk rotates and then you have the big but maps and the, all the that stuff. The worst one is Blofeld's briefing when it's just some hotel ballroom with some chairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm. I mean, they could be getting like a timeshare presentation or something. You know, or <laughs> right. HR, right. it could be like a HR training exercise uh, for like middle management. Yeah, I mean, buy, like, yeah, buy. You need to buy timeshares in in Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it shows like the the importance of set design to a Bond film and the type of imagination that could have happened, where the entrance into that room was cool, and then it's disappointing with its output. And like I also, once you get down to it, yeah. yeah and I think it also, just to sort of circle back to our conversation about music, I think that this film also stresses the importance of what a good soundtrack can do for a film. You know, had this had, you know, a really strong soundtrack, we might be more willing to overlook other elements, right? Because it would, it would the music would be propelling us along and getting mm-hmm. us excited. So I think if you were just to take, you know, up the set design and make that a priority of the budget... And of course, have it scored by somebody else. I, I think that would really start to move this up for people who who already don't like it, right? So there's some people who like it. This might right. enhance it for them. But I think this would just really up the bar and make it feel more Bond-esque, at least in my opinion. Well, and, and Bond is supposed to take us to a special world. And so mm-hmm. even in Dr. No, which was modestly budgeted, you had the, you know, had you had that uh, one set where um Dr. No is uh, talking to Professor Dent with that big circular grill, and then you have the control room. So even on a modestly budgeted film, there are scenes in Dr. No that like are you know, take you to an entirely different place, and this film doesn't do that. The, the faults of Never to Never Again is not lack of budget, it's lack of imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, but but uh, just talking about the music again, it, it must have been about 15 years ago or something like that, and somebody um, put uh, John Barry tracks to the film. I I, I never saw it, but uh, um, I've seen it. Yeah, and uh, and I, I, probably it would have improved it, but uh, you know, without actually seeing the result, it's difficult to the, say. The version I saw, they they created a gun barrel where they somehow put Sean Connery's head onto a Timothy Dalton Bond gun barrel. The problem was the head's a little too small, <laughs> but. <laughs> Any, but anyway, it's 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 the Dalton gun barrel with a Connery head. He shoots, and then you open up, and they turn that opening of Never Say Never Again into a pre-title sequence. Mm. And it's uh, various Barry tracks from different Bond films. But uh, yeah, it, it's pretty entertaining. All right. I think, anybody else got anything else? Or are we closing the book on? Yeah, book well, is closed. Well, uh, um, <laughs> I, I said at the beginning that I, I wasn't sure how, how I mm-hmm. uh, felt about it. And uh, the last time I watched it 25 years ago or something like that, um, uh, my, I, I had a friend who also saw it the same night as I saw it. And uh, um, he he thought it was worse than he remembered. And I thought it was better than I remembered. But for me, mm-hmm. it's it's way, way way behind any of the eon films it's it's right. very poor mm-hmm. so, sorry <laughs> like that you apologized that's so canadian well, some, pe- some people like it so you know I, I i don't want i don't want to uh piss on their parade so uh <laughs> you know it's uh some people like it and good good for them um, i do feel like we're coming up to some kind of renaissance for it and i'm dreading really? living through that yeah i think i think it's gonna come i don't i i'd like to end on a kind of a positive note and say i didn't hate it i think it is what it is i think it knows what it is i think there's a lot of problems with it but um i think it's still fun a fun way to spend 
three or four hours. Um, I think that Renaissance Calvin will come when Connery passes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It'll be like, everyone should rediscover this Bond yeah. gem that has been, you know... Hidden away uh, for so many years in plain view. <laughs> plain sight. Yeah, yeah no, it, it is going to be that. It's going to be like, oh, no, they didn't want you to see this, but here's my it's, sort of five-page Guardian article about why it's I can't wait to see your video review of it when you, you praise it. <laughs> it, it. It will be a double feature of Irvin Kershner-directed Sean Connery films, <laughs> Fine Madness and Never Say Never Again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Outtakes of, of Never Say Never Again. You know what? I haven't even researched like crap covers of the song because I don't even think there's probably any out there, but who knows? We'll just get oh. Calvin to sing it. Yeah. <laughs> just take whatever he gave us you at the what? beginning and just play it on, on a loop. If, if you add some music, do <laughs> some Michelle Legrand music to lead us out. <laughs> well, Bill did a good bit, good uh, thing with the music earlier on. Bill can like lay me a beat, and then I can just <laughs> do the singing. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Bill's gonna lay me a beat. <laughs> Said nobody ever. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the comment. Nobody else does. (laughs) Okay, so we're ending on a positive note. We need to end it here. There you go. Yeah. See everybody next week. (laughs) We're only going up from here. We've got the two two casino royales to go. Mm. See you next week, folks. Bye. 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 Never say never Oh!